To the Crash Chords Podcast. My name is John. My name is Steve. And my name is Matt, aka Stormageddon. Yeah. Personal introduction. Yeah. Always a mouthful with you. Well, you know. Single syllable, single syllable, you gotta Always, add right? five extra. <laughs> I'm <Storm> compensating. <laughs> four extra. Four extra, I was gonna say, yeah. Well, plus there's aka, so technically seven. I don't know. And Matt at the beginning also. Well, that's one. I gave that's you one Oh, you gave me the, the one John, freebie. John, Steve, Matt. It's Got a little it. Bit easier, yeah. Two innuendos in the first ten seconds. Yeah. I don't Very think we're ever going to, you know, stop making fun of him for the Stormageddon thing. True. It's, it's like a shtick now. I guess. I mean, I've made somewhat of a successful DJing career at this point out of it, so. Somewhat? Like, that would change our... Uh, our approach toward making fun of you. No, not at all. <laughs> I thought it was more than somewhat at this point, though. Well, I mean, it is uh, more successful. I've been doing it for about five years, and uh, I have some non-burlesque DJ gigs coming up. So, yes, I'm branching out to d- and DJ. And you look like I'm trying to defend his honor here. Well, he's also getting paid for it, too. and So it is a legitimate job, I've always been getting paid for it. Yeah, that's the one thing. You were telling me the other day that now you're getting paid, like, real salary. Well, so, well, not necessarily real salary, but when I'm doing a wedding, I can charge a different rate than what I'm being paid doing a burlesque show. It's just different. Yeah. Well, he's different industry. He is making money. So I guess Stormageddon is a real identity now. More or less. Don't admit okay. it. Yeah, we gotta give it to him sometime, eventually. Anyway, yeah. Maybe though future. I could talk like about me thousands. all day. <laughs> <laughs> though I could talk about me all day, I think we can move on from me. What do you think? We were gonna, okay. actually. Yeah, I was, was kind of wrapping <laughs> We were quite up. prepared to. <laughs> yeah, jerk. So today, today we're doing something a bit different, or something that we kind of needed to do a while ago. Because back in episode 55, it was the last time we approached something like this. We approached Pacific Rim and its original soundtrack. Well, we really didn't approach Pacific Rim. We just listened to the music and commented on the music from that movie. And we've done it before in video games and in movies that we, we just take what it is and listen to it in a vacuum and try to experience how awesome that music may or may not be on its own. Well, this didn't sit quite right, and I decided to change up the format. I proposed to my two compatriots right here that we do things a little bit differently this time, in that we need to make a change. We have to do this, you know, on a little bit of a slant of something we've done previously. Uh, When we do video games, when we do movies, when we do anything, when we talk about something that's music plus, we never really talked about the plus. So here, in our review of the soundtrack to Life is Strange, we're going to be talking a lot about the plus. We actually, all three of us either played or sat down and enjoyed, or didn't, the video game (laughs) itself and experienced the video game so that we can get the context of the music that was being used in this case, as opposed to just the vacuum and how the music is by itself. 
Well, let's first of all say I, I, I think most of us did indeed enjoy the oh, game. I, I, but don't, only, I don't want to put words in your but mouth. But it is true that only one of us actually played it, and that is you. Yes. Um, and you did suggest this, and uh, hands down to you for bringing us back to soundtracks. I suppose it was inevitable we had to get back to it eventually. We couldn't just walk away from that medium with our tail between our legs. And uh, the way in which me and Matt approach this is, of course, uh, the only way you can when you're not actually playing, and that is through game Let's Plays on YouTube, and we might as well just flat out uh, praise the specific YouTuber that actually gave us the luxury of being able to enjoy this game, and that is Xenon's Kenway, who has a five-part, as it is an episodic game, Life is Strange, a five-part, two-hour, sometimes two-hour and change each a ten-hour total experience, which yeah, you can to you, you can close watch on on double speed. Well, that may take away from some of the realism of it, but still, we did enjoy the whole game front to back. And something interesting to say about this YouTuber specifically is a lot of Let's Players commentate as they're playing, and I feel like the drama of this game would be lost if that had been done. Thankfully, he didn't do that. There was no commentary at all. It's straight up him playing the game and you experiencing it as if you were playing. Very immersive. Except that you weren't making the actual choices. And that comes to the gameplay itself, because we got to get a little bit of background of what life is strange. And first and foremost, spoilers. There's going to be a lot of spoilers. Big time spoilers. But the mechanics of the game itself are you walk around, you press buttons, you have conversations. It's not quite your average or typical AAA title in that way. There's actually a caption in the very beginning of the game in each episode. It says Life is Strange is a story-based game that features player choice. The consequences of all your in-game actions and decisions will impact the past, present, and future. So choose wisely. And so Which means, of course, that actually, even though we did sit through all ten hours of it, uh, we really were only experiencing one possible set of outcomes. And right. you have to do your research and find out. It, it becomes apparent as you go through the game where you could have chosen the opposite choice and then following the scenes would differ. Um, also, it's important to note that the kind of game, besides just making choices and having conversations, they're kind of sort of real-life puzzles you can solve that also affect the flow of the game. It's essentially a, you know, think of point-and-click adventures, but it's like the next step. They're called graphic adventures, which is essentially just a modern gaming evolution of point-and-click Which means adventure. it's not so much of a puzzle, it's a simple puzzle. It's, yeah. it's uh, based on the impulse of the moment and how you feel about the characters you're dealing with and sure. how you should respond. I mean, there are certain things where you use a main mechanic of the game, which we'll get to shortly, that also is sort of like puzzle solving. Right. And that mechanic is the ability to rewind time. And that's where this game takes a little bit of a left turn from the standard adventure fare. Uh, the popular series Telltales and all the games that they produce over the years are essentially the same sort of genre. Story-based games, quick time events, and things of that sort. But in this case, when you make a mistake or, to your opinion, a mistake in the game, you actually get the opportunity to rewind time and choose a different path as opposed to, well, you get locked in and you have to try to find a save file so you can go back in time mm -hmm. so you don't kill that one dude or you make that right decision or blah, blah, blah. In this case, the main character, Max, actually can go back about a minute, minute and a half or so, essentially any conversation she has, mm -hmm. and choose a different response or use pre information that she gained during that conversation to create a third response as opposed to a left or right. You have a new center. You have the now the correct answers. Yeah, This has a huge impact on the actual story as opposed to just impacting the gameplay because... Like we said, Life is Strange is a decision-based game, but it's more than just that. 
you mess with time a lot in this game. Mm -hmm. And besides just being able to go back 30 seconds, you get further powers later on where you can travel back days, months, even years, and screw around with time that way. And this sets up chains of events, and not a chain, chains of events that have to get retconned and deus exed and or left to their own devices and trying to figure out all the various puzzle elements that are associated with the game. The final thing about this game, it's not action-oriented, and that's something I do want to hone in. It's very much the progression of the story, and this is where it actually goes away from just a video game and becomes more of a television series or an interactive story or a movie itself. It's more like a giant cutscene, but different outcomes of different cutscenes. I wouldn't say it's any less of a video game, I would just say it's a very different kind of video game. In a lot of ways, it's sort of like uh, the old choose-your-own-adventure books, right. but in a visual, video. in a video game visual. Well, it's not format. a genre that hasn't been done. I mean, yeah. you made a couple of comparisons yeah. to, sure. to things that have already existed in this. It's a graphic adventure, like you said. The the only difference is, I suppose, that uh, in this game, it's a little bit more laid back. For instance, you don't even discover that you have that power right away. That's yeah. it's a pretty laid back. You're a you're a girl who goes to school. You're in the twelfth grade. You're eighteen years old, and you've been selected to go to a special school, special special for twelfth called the Blackwell School. Um, of course, spoilers, we already said this, so yeah. you're going to be getting a lot of this as we talk about the music in connection with the game. Um, and I remember just the, the sort of... It can, it can, it's almost like you start experiencing your own nostalgia from doing this if you're mm -hmm. anything older than 18, for instance, while you're playing the game because the, the lingo is very high school. But it's almost like an idealized version of high school. The kind of thing that you would only find crop up in, like, you know, primetime CW network dramas or things like that. It doesn't, it, it's not important that it's necessarily the high school that you experience, but mm -hmm. it's important enough that you experience it the way she experiences it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very successful at doing that before you even discover the power that you have. So as I'm trying to like take notes on the game as I go through it, then, because uh, I figure I'm going to be referencing this here in this episode, then finally I get to the point in which you discover that you have that power, and it's like, oh, okay, um, uh, you go to the Blackwell School, Juliet is dating Zachary, Rachel Amber is missing, uh, the Vortex Club is a questionable uh, school organization, and oh, finally, you control time! Yeah. That's a pretty big mechanic. Yeah, and it, it kind of shifts the flow and pace of the game pretty quickly. It, it escalates. Um, but what I think is also really interesting, before we start getting into the music and specific plot points, is, you know, the it took about the first episode before I got invested really at all. But I think that's kind of the point. You're mostly supposed to spend the first of the five episodes thinking... This is pretty normal. You're supposed to get familiar with the people. Right. I mean, even one of the first songs that we that we get is just her experiencing the uh, all the different people that go to the school, mm -hmm. uh, knowing some of them more than others, just having casual small talk with them, and getting and an finding internal a little, monologue yeah, about it too, insight into their lives. And that's the first track of the released soundtrack for this game, "To All of You" by Sid Matters. This piece is used in the opening scene after you wake up in class after having a hurricane dream destroying the town. You talk with your teacher, Mark Jefferson. He's your photography teacher, and mm -hmm. that's what you're there for. You get a couple of questions wrong, you get a couple of questions right, you talk with him a minute, and you go to the bathroom just to cool down. Well, first thing your character does, first thing Max does, is put in those earbuds, and we're getting a title scroll. And it's just a progression of the walk through the hallway, commenting on your 
different schoolmates talking about how they interact with one another, and eventually hitting into that bathroom and, you know, wiping off your face. I was also pleased at how much you even get to experience before you even get the title scroll. It's, uh, yeah. it's quite a long ways into the game. It, it feels very cinematic in that nature, that yeah. you get some progression and narrative before you actually know why you're here, even though you know why you're here. Yeah, but it's, it's uh, the character of the music is like, it, it's a, a girl in the thick of it all, surrounded by people who can impact her life in different ways. I actually liked in this song about how the voice, uh, the, the, the Sid Matters, actually feels like a kind of narrator. And that's something I would say even without hearing uh, the music in the game. If I was just describing the song by itself, it's easygoing, it's uh, a little bit laden with sadness, and it's built mostly off just two chords, and it has, interestingly, the same melodic phrase over and over and over again. So each time it sounds kind of like an incomplete phrase that restarts, and not to put too fine a point on it, but that's actually kind of important important to the story. It's like a story that is unfinished or unwritten, a write-your-own-ending type of phrase. I'm not sure if this was anywhere within the idea of the people who selected this song, but it feels very cyclical, and it gets you into that habit, a habit that you'll be stuck in for the remainder of the game. This is also featured from the album, Someday We Will Foresee Obstacles, which also gives a hint, the album title, of the kind of things you will be dealing with in this game. Um, I think it's important to bring up where these songs are coming from since none of them were written for this game. They all were written and then were used for this game. Yeah, some of them date back to turn of the century. Well, turn of the millennium, technically. Yeah. Um, up until about the last two, three years. So they pulled over 15 years worth of work right here. It's from that, uh, that golden era of indie rock. Yeah. yeah. Light, light-hearted indie rock. Watching and- this scene unfold in person, you know, Seeing it happen with her listening to the song, I picked up some of the lyrics, but not a ton. I enjoyed it. It was pleasant. But listening to the song separately and actually hearing the lyrics and hearing what it's about, I mean, it's very on the nose, kind of describing a young girl in her life. And, I mean... I can't think of a more perfect way to kind of start this story than with a song like this, for sure. And it also doesn't strike me as being very repetitive. I mean, that's why it was probably an excellent choice for the kind of thing that it has those loops. So, yes, it is repetitive. I mean, that can just be said, but it doesn't feel that way because you get the sense that it is sort of a backdrop. And I feel like I'd be visualizing this even if I did not have the the gameplay in mind or in memory. Well, some other pieces, like the touches of strings that show up just to do little bit of notes on top of everything else, just a flourish, enough to keep the repetitive nature of the track from feeling repetitive. The little things like that mm-hmm. makes this a really, like a, at its core, like the indie. The indie, just emotional, early... Uh, early 20s, late teens, kind of almost hipster kind of a feel that's going on right here. Mm -hmm. And it's fitting the main character to a T. Well, your character is a little bit off the beaten track. I mean, you don't get the sense that she's necessarily unpopular, but that she's not in the upper strata of the school for sure. She's just trying to make it. She's a smart girl. She has her own unique interests. She's interested in things like expressionist photography. You know, it's not your average fare, I suppose, for... uh, for what she's studying, but it's, um, yeah, she's kind of on the peripheral, and she's trying to make it big in this school, but she's still barely begun, and already there's quite a lot of problems that are brewing, especially the big foreshadowing element of there being a girl that is missing. Yeah, and I think it's also important to note that the, the kind of inner monologue that you have pretty much from the beginning of the game to the end of her talking about things in her own mind, in her, her head voice, while she's observing them is very important. And you get a a rundown of that as she's going down this hallway because you can both 
um, you know, look at the person and she'll talk to herself about that person and also speak to them and actually interact. That's how, wh why, whether you're 18 or not, or whether you're a girl or not, you just end up feeling and, and kind of seeing things the way she sees them. Right. right. It's very effective at doing that. You're not at any point kind of like eye-rolling, like, I wouldn't do that if right. I was her. After just a few minutes of the game, you are her. So mm -hmm. you you would make those decisions. And then the track ends. It ends with her entering the bathroom. Uh, she steps inside, like I said. She washes her face. She sees a butterfly come through the window. Another one of those foreshadowing elements because the butterfly effect is in full force with this game. And for those who don't know, look it up on Wikipedia. It's a little bit long for me to explain. But she takes the picture. She witnesses another individual entering the bathroom. A boy waving around and getting a little bit on the crazy side. Eventually, a third character is now entering the scene here, and it's a blue-haired girl. They're confronting one another, and the guy pulls out a gun and ends up shooting the girl. It is at that moment she learns she can rewind time. That's when you discover the butterfly. Yeah. Um, and then it says whenever this butterfly appears in the game, that's when you have the option to, to rewind, to rewind and, and alter. But it does mean that at certain instances, certain little markers in the game, it says something to the effect of things that you do will have consequences. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's already not a greatest, the greatest time at Blackwell Academy. But you are encouraged at this point to learn the mechanic to rewind time and save the girl's life. Yeah. Yeah. And when you do that, you rewind time and end up waking up in class again. You rewind it all the way back, so you're in class again, and you're in front of your teacher, and he's giving you the dialogue. And now all those incorrect answers you had before are now correct, because you can get the right answers because you know them now, and, and you can so start you can, fooling around with that. You can interact a little differently, and it, it just builds this interesting idea of the game, of this cyclical nature that will come back quite a bit. I think that it's kind of a, a really unique way of storytelling. Because it kind of makes you wonder, wait, did that really happen? Is this really happening? It's another one of those things. That it's been done before in terms of like movies like Memento. It's yeah. been done in a, a myriad of you know Star Trek episodes, people that are caught in loops. Um, but it's interesting, oh, as always, I think, to see it through the eyes of an 18-year-old girl, right? right? Who doesn't understand the enormity of the power. Yeah. Um, but still, she's, she's intelligent that she can make theoretically wise choices, but right. without knowing all of those implications. Right. And but it, she ends up discovering discovering, you know, that over the course of this entire episode one, you know, she rewinds several times in order to correct her answers when she's still in class there, yeah. and then she redoes the, the, the scene leading up to, uh, throughout the hallway, you, yeah. you see more people again, and then she can actually prevent uh, the girl from being shot. Yeah. By switching off the alarm. And that's where another big thing comes in, because after she... She blows this alarm. She goes out of the bathroom after the other two individuals leave. She meets up with her principal. And this is where the major choices start coming into the game because you can actually tell the principal that you saw a fellow classmate, Nathan, waving around the gun. And what happens here, one way or the other, it changes the storyline as a whole. If you do tell about Nathan, A, B, C, D is going to happen. If you don't, E, F, G, H is going to happen. And these sort of ripple effects really permeate the rest of the game. So... While we will be spoiling a lot of stuff, we can't tell you exactly what's going to happen at any given point, because at this point, about 15, 20 minutes into the game, the whole game changes. Everything's different. Yeah. Also, um, we're going to reveal as many major plot points as we can to help support the music we're talking about, but if we leave out major plot points or we leave out non-choice stuff, it's because we can't retain an entire 11-hour game 
and not leave out details. But that said, we are going to try and give you the mood and most of the details that we can so you have the context we had. And even we can't give you the mood. You either feel it or you don't. Right. But it's in that sense that I think we want we wanted to refine our approach to a soundtrack episode. And this yeah. is pretty unique because you have multiple layered moods. It's not something as, as finite as a game that is just a, a, a linear timeline or yeah. as a movie that is a linear timeline. That's what has been our three previous cases, which were very early uh, in, in this podcast series. So I think that when you're dealing with a game like this, it gives us the opportunity to approach the specific emotions that we are feeling in a given moment when you're hearing music considering recent events. And you have to go through those recent events, otherwise we're not going to be able to convey how we're actually feeling about the music. But still, there is that question of would you feel that if you just heard the music by itself? I don't think you necessarily would because, of course, it's a very, very specific storyline. You couldn't possibly. They're meant to go hand in hand. But does the music actually support it at every step of the way? That's, I guess, what we're going to be looking at. And there is a little bit that comes up uh, immediately after another little bit of a scene work. We go outside, uh, the scuffle's gone, you did or didn't tell the principal, and you're on your way to visit your friend Warren, so you head back to your room, and while you're in your room, you have the opportunity to actually turn on your radio, and this is where track two comes in, Crosses by Jose Gonzalez. Now, this isn't the major scene of the track, it's actually a little bit of a preview. Uh, as you're sitting there, you're looking for something to give to your friend, you're, you actually have the opportunity to sit down and play the acoustic guitar. Right, so it's this is Crosses by Jose Gonzalez, and it's a fairly bright and partially tinny guitar line, and it's it's simple, because you get the idea that she's an amateur, but she's just sitting trying to space out to it all. And I actually really loved here how like the melody, the main melody, crosses not just one bar line, but two or three, and these would be the vocals on top, which I don't think you necessarily get when you're just playing. You're just you're just playing the the, the guitar line beneath, but I, I thought it was nice because the song is called Crosses, after all, and you do get a melody that crosses several different like mounts, several different markers within the the rhythmic structure, and yet this is just kind of focused on that rhythmic structure, so it keeps you pretty uh, zoned out in this contemplative feel, and the emphases are always on the end. Um, when you're listening, the hazy vocals, I think, kind of put perspective on the scene where she's just sitting and thinking about life in general. This is from uh, Jose's album Veneer, and um, the song has this kind of warm Americana feel. It reminds me of stuff like, um, you know, like American Pie and that kind of stuff. Even though this is obviously indie and it feels less kind of folky, it gives me that kind of same warm feeling Let's with those songs. It, most of indie sounds very folky at yeah. various points in their uh, whatever they want to be as right. an artist. So, but but I also agree about the echo, echoey vocals, and I actually really enjoy them. I think the kind of hollowness of that echo hints at sadness, even though the song itself isn't inherently sad. Well, the reason I, I brought that up, considering that you don't actually hear that, I believe, in this scene, yeah. right? It's, you don't hear the vocals, you're just hearing the rhythm, is because the vocals, they picked songs in the soundtrack that were... They would still have their power whether you had vocals or not. Yeah. And the vocals are kind of just like a little central figure. They're like a spotlight, but then the second you remove them, you're still left with the same feeling, the same aurora. And that is actually present in the vast majority of these songs. It's the mm -hmm. same approach to vocals, the same like hazy, dreamy vocal style. And in each case, it has the, uh, like what I described in, in track one, a kind of feeling like a narrator. So they never feel like they're like the vocalist is is experiencing anything. Mm -hmm. It's not about what he's going through. They're just there for the sake of the character here and what they're going through. Mm -hmm. 
And in this case, the big scene for this track does show up a little bit later in episode two, when you're on a bus on your way to the local diner, the two whales. The reason this track, I think, really does hit the the mark for this scene is while you're on the bus, you're just looking out the window. It's fall. It's almost Halloween time. You're just being contemplative. The color scheme is very much those yellow, oranges, and reds. It's very warm. And She's already gone in depth about how she loves that environment anyway, that yeah. there's something about the the the. Ta- type of town that experiences the seasons and really gets to indulge in autumn. That autumn town is something that f- feels like only she she understands, or the people from the northwest understand, which uh, northeast understands it a little bit. Yeah, maybe a but, little farther north than us. <laughs> but you'll hear people from the Pacific Northwest going, "Nah, nah, nah. It's it's a little bit different over Aut- here." Autumns in New York aren't nearly long enough for my taste. <laughs> but this um, scene also is done with. A similar trick to the first track where um, she puts headphones in on the bus when we actually hear the track. And I like the, I think it's a clever dynamic for a game. Like, if you want the track to kind of come to the forefront, give it a moment that feels right where the character is listening to that song. Because then you feel like you're that character listening to the song. And I also like the fact that that sort of forlorn nature that we got with the vocals comes through right here because now it's a lot clearer, it's a lot more right there in your ear, and you can enjoy it for what it is, but it also is foreshadowing what's about to happen in the storyline itself. Right. She's on her way to talk to someone and reveal that she has these powers. And the lines themselves, don't you know that I'll be around to guide you through your weakest moments to leave them behind you? I mean, it's it's a little bit on the nose at this point that it's... It doesn't have to be, but it's very obviously talking about the time travel that's going on right here. It does seem like, along with the cyclical nature of a lot of these songs, which have their own hint at what is going on here and the timeline itself, it seems they were also chosen for those various lyrics that would pop out. Because some point, sometimes they're just, they're just too on the nose, and you feel like it had to have been within yeah, the like mind. Yeah, like it can't of, be an accident. Yeah, of whoever it was that selected this. Maybe it was the whole entire team that worked on the game. We don't know. All right, I think this is a good transition point to uh, talk about the next song and the, the scene that goes with it, which I'll let John take lead on after talking about the song, which is Santa Monica Dream by Angus and Julia Stone, and the album it's featured on is Down the Way. What we get here is a little bit grittier, a little bit more... This one even feels rounder than the previous tracks. This one feels like it's just building upon itself over and over again. But with the very tinny, touchy guitar and the female vocalist, mildly gravelly in her vocals, but also very pixie in nature, it sort of it sounds like maybe she's projecting a, 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 a young teen that just got over a cold kind of a sound to the voice, but I'm really, really loving it. And I love when the male vocalist actually steps in to compliment her because it does a lot to kind of flesh out this very nostalgic feel that's going on in the song. Yeah, and the thing is, Nostalgia at this point in the game, considering that we've already crossed like two hours of material where you've gotten to know your the Blackwell Academy a little better, you've gotten to know the people a little better, well, there's also a little point from your personal life that starts to uh, erupt at this moment with this music. Um, the girl that we described in the beginning, who was close to getting shot, well, it turns out that, that girl is your longtime childhood friend, Chloe, who's arrived to save you from Nathan, the same person who you witnessed shoot Chloe in the beginning beginning, but remember that hasn't happened in this uh, thread of timeline, uh, but 
in, while there was a, another guy there named Warren who was actually trying to save you at the same time, Chloe pulls up in a pickup truck and you drive away with Chloe. And now you have to rewind five years into your past because you haven't actually seen her recently. And so they have to get to know each other again, considering the events that just transpired. And they go back to Chloe's childhood home where she's, where Max spent a lot of time. And it's under, it's under this uh, weird blast of the past that you experience the song. You're in her bedroom. You're looking at items things you haven't seen before. It's just laden with nostalgia. So it, I, I thought that it was, a, it was a, a good moment to bring in a song like this that feel, it, it has many of the same qualities as before. It still sounds a little bit cynical, but at the same time, the, those harmonies that you noticed, John, the harmonies that, that kind of bring out the depth of the moment, like the vocals, it's another case of that hazy vocal style, but there's two vocals now. It's, and they don't occur all at once and not all the time. And the vocalist, uh, the female vocalist, she sounds innocent and caught up in reflection, but perhaps not so innocent because there's been some learning, some growth, and now it's time to reflect on all the good and all the bad because, of course, Chloe is not the same Chloe that she once knew. Yeah, she went from a nice little blonde scamp to kind of gothy punk all over the place, blue hair, very Rebellious. short. Yeah, mm-hmm. all o- and starts smoking weed right in the scene itself. And it even gets in a little bit of trouble, but that's besides the point. What the track does, besides sort of personifying Chloe with that kind of gravelly scene a little, but still kind of young vocal work, is I really like how the chorus kind of explains the two of them. Because it is in harmony, and it's the words... I'm somewhere, you're somewhere, I'm nowhere, you're nowhere. You're somewhere, you're somewhere, I could go there, but I don't. So there's, it's a little bit of a gray area. Yeah, they're still friends. Yeah, they still have a connection between the two of them, even after five years of no communication. But there's a little bit of a taint on it. There's a little bit of anger still there, at least from Chloe's perspective, that does poke through quite a bit in choice of words in the actual initial ride to her house. She gets a little bit snippy with Max. Yep, and it's their their chemistry doesn't seem 100% there, especially not in the beginning, because there's just there's been too much time. And think of all the growth that you experience in five years right there in the heart of, of teenagehood. Adolescence, five years, may, may as well be a million. Right, and also it's important to mention at this point that Max has not told Chloe what she can do. Yeah. Like, there's no knowledge of that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they were best friends before she left, and now she's back. And so, of course, the assumption is, well, will they be best friends again? Spoiler alert, yes, they will be. Um, <laughs> but but it's just... it's it ruined it. I've ruined everything. Of all the spoilers, that was the worst. Um, well, it seemed like she was the right person that she needed in her life at that moment. Yeah. Even just those lines. Like, I know they came from the music. They didn't come from the game. The I'm, some, I'm nowhere, you're nowhere, you know? The idea that they were kind of had that, that little thing that was missing, and maybe you start to get the hint at this moment that the thing that was missing was each other. Right. Um, and I think that the song absolutely, like you guys said, supports that feeling and kind of both instrumentally and vocally, like like you had mentioned. The next track, Piano Fire by Sparkle Horse, which I love that band name. It's just, I don't know, <laughs> there's something about it that's really great. And it's from the album It's a Wonderful Life. Um, this is the next track, track four, on the official soundtrack. And this one is even rougher than the previous track. It feels unpolished. John mentions indie punk, which we've talked about before, but it definitely has this kind of grady, kind of garage feel. And that's why it's used to really explain who Chloe is. Because after this initial, like, getting to know each other again and sort of feeling each other out, 
doing a little bit of fill-in. Chloe switches to this, starts lighting up that joint I was talking about earlier, and dancing on bed. This is this is her persona to a T, at least from her perspective. It's the sort of music that she's been listening to, so strummy, punk rock, very unpolished, very garage band kind of a feel. It fits what's going on with her. But, yeah, and also there's some uneasiness there because also this is the same girl who uh, there is the option that she is going to uh, rat you out or rat you out falsibly, that's that said, for the weed that you mentioned earlier. Chloe's up there smoking weed and then the stepfather comes up and the stepfather uh, wants to know whose weed is this and it assumes it's his daughter. Of course, he's right. And then uh, she tries to pin the blame on Max. and. At least in one outcome, because it's that kind of game. Yeah, Max could step up and actually take the blame, or Max could... Max could repel it. Max could actually remain completely quiet, and Chloe doesn't mention a darn thing, and instead Chloe gets smacked by her stepfather, or step-douche, as he's known as... But either way way you work it, Chloe was going to pin the blame on her. No. No, there is one where she takes the blame herself. Ah, there's one where she. Yeah, actually... there is that opportunity. But you have that control, though, as... You're only Max. Yeah, no, you can it, hmm. it, 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 it depends on what you do. There's ways to right. do it. Okay. Remember, as we said earlier, the ripple effect that happens when you meet the principal <laughs> changes everything and changes yeah. all the outcomes. So there are a lot of outcomes that we're not going to mention because, again, John is somewhat limited. He's played most of, this, of, the, of the options, but me and Steve only saw a very specific version of this. So there's going to be a lot of times where they're referencing a specific way, and I have to step in and go, but you could also do it like this, and you could do it like But if we happen to miss something, just know that this game has a lot of options and changes and ripples, and so, so that's So on, what, why. two-thirds or three-fourths of those options, uh, Chloe kind of uh, pulled a dick move? Uh, a little bit of one. Yeah. You know, on one of them, you volunteer yourself. Very Spartacus-style. Well, I'll say this for this particular song. I think that maybe if this was out of the context of the game, I would say, yeah, this is an indie punk track. Yeah, I don't know if I would really notice it too much. I, I do think it, it, it still speaks to the organization of this soundtrack in that they, they keep layering on the same exact uh, types of songs, but with a little added dose of something. Like, right. it's... Still is kind of a cyclical song. It still has that core uh, 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 sort of circular guitar pattern, but this time the drums are so much heavier, and there's just a lot more bleed over there. So I find it interesting that they managed to find songs that still have the same musical traits, with just little exceptions here and there. Uh, that's that's I think uh, more thought than goes into most soundtracks. Yeah, I mean. It's definitely integral to this soundtrack for sure, but I would also agree that if I wasn't getting in the context of this song is more or less supposed to represent Chloe, I probably too would have just been like, "Yeah, it's an okay punk indie track." Like, I don't know that I would have a connection to it. Of course, because I've played or watched in this case the game. Because in this timeline, yeah. you have right. <laughs> watched it. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's important to mention at this point. Me and Steve both. Uh, watch the playthrough of the game and then listen to the soundtrack. We did not listen to the soundtrack first. And technically the same is true for me, but I played it and in a lot of cases I kept doing a lot of the scene work over and over again. And another thing which I love about the game itself is 
There are moments where you can just sit down and do nothing, and music starts playing. A lot of it's the original work that we'll talk about at the end of this episode. Yeah, honestly, but a I lot started, of it is also just the music that's being used throughout the game. I started to feel that way very much in in the beginning of the game, right after you've discovered what you can do, but you still you still have the opportunity to walk through the quad and meet more people, right? I still got the like I could I could really get lost in that and just go around in circles for hours or go one person after the other after the other. How integral they are to the overarching story or not, yeah. I'm, I would just be interested, right? And there's there's another thing we should probably bring up. The things that do not appear on this soundtrack is, of course, the interwoven quote-unquote score. Things that just appear as transitional music. Uh, let's say, for instance, when you pull up your, your diary. There's a lot of uh, journal entries that you could read, up to uh, 6, 10, 12, maybe even up to 60 pages, did you say? It's, I think it's about... Fifteen-ish an episode, and it 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 was so uh, again interwoven with the rest of the music here, having many of the same qualities, but but having a slightly its own character that you become familiar with, uh, uh, kind of the sound of the town or the sound of the academy, Mm -hmm. little tones that I started to experience as various other artists here, tones that I thought was was Mogwai at times, tones that I thought were uh, Sparkle Horse at times or Alt J, and I think that's another we should at least. Even though it's not something we're going to be reviewing specifically because it's sort of the same piece that recurs throughout the game uh, in the same context. Uh, we're not going to be mentioning that, but I think it's worth at least uh, praising that composer for what he did. And that he, composer... He fit the, the niche. That composer is actually the, the front man for Sid Matters. Uh, they, who are the only band that's featured twice on yeah. this piece... Yeah, at the beginning and at the end... Both songs from the same album, and we'll get to that. And they also produced eight additional uh, compositional indie rock classical style. I don't know. They're they're a little bit hard to pin down, but they do lean heavily on the indie rock style of Sid Matters to sort of tell the story without needing to really say anything. The fact that they bookend the, the soundtrack speaks to them kind of being the, the, yeah, the core component. A major, well, not even the core component, just like the major influence in a lot of ways. Yeah. From what I understand from the, the various text pieces that pop up about the actual creators of Life is Strange, they did a lot with the music both before, during, and after writing the actual story itself. Well, kind of like the recurring motif, the, the hero's theme. Yes. Yeah. That, that sort of through line. So after, back on track with the story itself, after the conflict with Step Douche David, uh, you sneak out the window, you go up the hill back to the lighthouse where you used to pretend to be pirates. And I'm only talking about this lighthouse in the context of the game because while there is another track that's being used right there, track 14 on this album, Obstacles, also by Sid Matters, it also does a lot to foreshadow what's going to happen as the main conflict for the game. You have the same nightmare that you had at the very, very beginning, at the very first instance you started up. A tornado is destroying the town. Mm-hmm. It happens right next to Chloe. And as you start listening to obstacles, it starts snowing. In the middle of mid-October, it starts snowing. Now, that's they, com- not- they comment on how it's like 80 degrees. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit on the usual side. So it's the first indication of... The wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, effed-up nature of time travel. Yeah, and that this is not normal, and that Max's meddling, as it were, may have an effect. 
And beyond that, there's also uh, something a little more personally scary, and that is the frequent nosebleeds that she occurs from right. all the times she, that she meddles. Which she has here as well. Yeah. I, believe. Uh, I believe it's the first time, yeah. yeah. And which is also, by the way, kind of a time thing. travel trope. There's usually something that, like, it, it, it does manifest itself physically in some yeah. way. Well, it's it been has done. to be. But, uh, but it's if always I'm, neat. If I'm always not, scary. If I'm not mistaken, the blue butterfly that she took a picture of in the, in the bathroom in the very beginning... It's also there. Yeah. So, yeah, a little heavy-handed on the imagery that's being used right here. The blue butterfly. Uh, first time we see the doe as well, but that comes up a little bit later. Uh, the lighthouse, the hurricane. Yeah, we got a conflict being built right here. And while I did like it as the first finale of the series or right. the end of the first episode, I was in, already entranced with the characters, but the story was just being a little bit too slow for me at this moment. I think it did a lot to weed out the people who may not enjoy the story as a whole or may not really get it as emotionally invested into the game as others well, may. let's put it this way. You either, you know, like playing the role of an 18-year-old girl at an academy, or you don't. I yeah. mean, there's something about that that's environment really weird, that either... No, 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 that's a really weird way to put it. But that, that's, that's a specific <laughs> way to put it, and it yeah. is it is going to exclude people if that's just not where you want to be, or you don't even want to think about 18 you know, years old again, or, you know, or maybe if you are nostalgic at the time, then you do want to go back down there. Yeah. Or maybe you have an attraction to the community, to the environment that she's in, the Pacific Northwest, if you like the town, if you like the uh, the history of the school, then there is just something about the feel of the game, regardless of the plot line, you know, yeah. these are either going to attract you or not. And uh, so far, we seem to be in agreement that we were interested. Yeah, I mean, I was. it was more curiosity at the end of episode one, but um, obviously, since I went through the whole thing... Episode one is much slower paced right. than ensuing episodes. The next track, track five on the soundtrack, Something Good by Alt-J off the album, An Awesome Wave, is actually the first song we hear at the beginning of the second episode. Out of time, episode two. Right. What we get is Max waking up in her room once again. And uh, we've already done Alt-J on the podcast. Uh, it's, I think, the only technical band we've done earlier, but we were favorable then, and I'm really of favorable all the, now. Of all these artists, yeah, yeah, they're the only ones that we did. There were episode 120, we did their album, This Is All Yours. So we get a morning scene, time to wake up, go shower, get ready for school. So we get a marching band drums right away and a, sort of a droney guitar. A nice contrast between the two with the very pickup step of the percussion, but the kind of sleepy nature of the, the guitar itself. I like the way it was fitting that early morning vibe. Yeah, I would tone it back on the marching band comparison because I didn't feel it quite so rousing. I mean, the, the, the opening scene, I actually, it, it's implanted in my memory because I thought it was a very, I, at this point, I was drawn into the game successfully and you feel the weight of all the different things that have happened in episode one and all that is on her mind. She's seen Chloe for the first time in five years and now she's back in her dorm ready to sort of begin the day again. And I didn't think it was necessarily like rousing, all right, let's, let's do this, let's begin to, I thought it was more like the weight of the world on your shoulders because of the power that you now have. So the drums, yes, they are. They have a little more motion to them, um, and I guess there was a little more emotion attached to it as a re as a result. But it wasn't. Uh, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't happiness. No, I think it was that, just. It was contemplation. Yeah, that's what I would say. I'd say contemplation or you know reminiscing about the past 
And there's this kind of internal thought feel to this song. Oh, and that's what I was going to say. This, the opening scene, of course, you see her just lying in bed. And she Think. lies there just thinking for, for a, a good amount of time. And you don't get an inner head voice really that much either. Like, she thinks nope. about a little stuff, but it's mostly just her in silence laying in the room with all this of song. episode one is her chattering away. Now, all of a sudden, she's not chattering. And that, yeah. that's a little disconcerting after two hours of, of just her, her in her own head. And then the piano steps in. And this was a great transition piece from Alt-J. When the piano steps in, gets very bright. You have a very subtle guitar done along with it. It's a sort of a bridge between the two choruses that are going on with this track. because Like the transitional motif, the piano motif? I don't know how to do it. It's complicated for me to do piano work. Well, nevertheless, I hear it in my head. No need to reproduce everything in this podcast. But it did absolutely anchor me to the emotion of the scene and the weirdness, once again, of having an old friend back in your life. And it was the first moment, I think, musically, that I would have loved regardless. Like, there is a lot of ambiguity in the beginning, you know, you know, indie albums have that, uh, indie rock albums, especially those that lean more toward folk or more toward post-rock like this album does, they they go either way with me. It almost feels like they're, they're designed to attach themselves to the soundtrack of your life in such a... Uh, in obvious way that mm-hmm. it almost feels like they could be replaced. But yeah. this, this didn't. This felt just... I'm not saying that it's not like a score that someone wrote this specifically for the soundtrack, but I... I do think there was a lot more of a, there was more of a flourish in this moment that uh, inspired me to check out the soundtrack in its own right, even though we were going to do that anyway, because we were going to do this. Right. So. But what the piano actually leads into, that natural saunter of the second chorusy part that steps in, I, I just love the pickup that's just built into it. I love how everything... It's not getting high energy, but it's sort of like that moment where, if we're going to go with the morning, you step out of bed, you actually get rolling, you get moving, you start becoming a human being again. Well, you might also equate the energy to stress, you know. That has its own, like, a little bit of adrenaline there to go along with the day. I didn't quite feel that until later in the track. Well, it's a subtle stress because you're in her own head. What happens later on as uh, the... The choruses bleed together, and you have a little bit of the piano work, a little bit of that nice, easy guitar, a little bit of that pickup in the in the B section. Everything sort of blends together and doesn't quite get cacophony or anything like that. I mean, you can still pick out the individual lines, but the individual lines feel like they're blending together to create sort of a tumultuous emotional state. I would agree with that. I think that I the, I got the foreshadowing of that in the beginning of the song, but it comes very obvious by the end of the song. Although I don't remember exactly how much of the song we actually experienced the uh, the edit of it within the game. You can experience the whole thing, unless I'm mistaken. Then just yeah, you have to press enjoy. you have to press spacebar to get up, so you can hear the entire song. There you go. <laughs> um, and that's another little feature that's great. Rarely do they specifically interrupt many of the tracks. But what immediately follows this get up and get out of bed is you're introduced to another little scenario that's going on. Uh, Several of your classmates are talking in the bathroom as you're on your way to take a shower, and the main 
character here is Victoria. Victoria is your arch rival nemesis. Typical fat. typical high school or college mean girl character. Yes. Yeah. At least on the surface of it. There's more to it. Her than dialogue that. was was maybe the only dialogue that I thought was just a little too cliche. And mm. I know that high school in general has a tendency to, to seem cliche and I like think that after was in- the fact. But where it concerns her, I don't know. This that that tr- that that archetype has been used a little much. But I would argue that that was done intentionally, also based on the reveals you get later and what you learn about her based on your choices. Well, I it's feel true. Like this is not a game not review. Sh- but yeah. you're not even spoiling at this point. You're foreshadowing the spoilers that are going to yeah. come out about later. Oh boy. Um, but what's going on is you step into the bathroom and there's a URL on the mirror right there, which leads to a kind of raunchy video. A video featuring another. Because we don't have enough. Another schoolmate, Kate. Kate is, well, she's sort of a typical Bible thumper good girl. But at the same time... I wouldn't quite say that, but she, because she seems a little bit... I mean, of course, there is a big fat cross right there in her neck. So there is that. But she's a little bit more done up and proper, but just laden with with uh, woe. You know, each and every time in the beginning of the game, you're you're you encounter Kate. You want to reach out to her. You want to talk to her, and she shuns you away at every turn. Not necessarily because she dislikes you. She likes you. You actually seem that there is a, a growing friendship there. But she's preoccupied, constantly preoccupied. And now we start to get toward the reasons why. why? Yeah. So this starts revealing another plot associated with Life is Strange and that something happened to Kate at this party. And it becomes a fairly major point of episode two, even though you started learning about it in the first episode in Chrysalis. So we're going through this. You have the option to wipe off the URL or not. You don't have to. And you head back to your bathroom. And this is where you get to the next scene that we actually previewed earlier. You take the bus to two whales, and you listen to Crossroads. And as we talked about in track two, you're on your way to meet a friend. And this is the scene where you actually get to tell Chloe you can control time. And you have to prove it in various ways. And it's actually really fun and a little bit on the funky side, like how you do so. Right. Because you sit there, you watch two minutes of the game, and then you have to rewind time and tell Chloe what's going to happen in the next two minutes of the game. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a kind of cool meta thing that obviously if you're playing a game you know you can do, but existing in this world where it's to them, it's not a game, it's their life... It, it feels very it's, meta. And it's I, like I reading it. a walkthrough while playing the game. It's the walkthrough of the game while you're playing. It's pretty yeah. cool. It was also a nice opportunity to, I think, add some comic relief to this gradually starting to get more depressing story. You know, uh, for sure, emotionally heavy. Yeah. yeah, emotionally heavy indeed. But here now, you get to at least have a little bit of fun with your power that has given you so much, you know, uh, uh, strife. You also meet up with Joyce, uh, Chloe's mother, who works at the Two Whales Diner. You also head over to American Rust, Chloe's home away from home, the place where she goes to run away. And you start learning about another subplot, or one that we were introduced earlier, the missing girl, Rachel was Chloe's best friend. In fact, they were going to run away with one another, move to L.A., get out of that bodunk town. Yep, and that starts to kind of point to why she was... She's a little more messed up than, uh, let's say, Max remembers. Well, the other big stickler is that Chloe's father, William, died only weeks before Max was forced to leave when her parents moved to Seattle from Arcadia Bay. So it was like a double effect happening to Chloe at that moment where she got hit one, (laughs) two. She was doomed. Dad and best friend, almost sister, just gone. And 
Not only that, but she heard from neither of them. Not just her father dying, but Max never communicated with her after five years. So Mm. another major reason she was messed up. So she latched on to Rachel, and American Rust became one of their areas. And they're also confronted by Frank. Who apparently Chloe owes a lot of money to. He's a local drug dealer of Arcadia Bay. and Messed up girl. Yeah, there's a lot going on right here. The money was supposed to fix the truck. And and there's a knife scene. And there's a gun scene. More than that. It should be also said that both at the diner and in this scene, the the powers are treated more as a toy. They're, They're... trying to see now that Chloe knows they're trying to see what Max can actually do and so there's some scenes that happen that based on your choices but essentially you're testing her powers kind of playing with them like a toy using them over and over and over again yeah this is why I don't see Chloe as necessarily like a she's not an admirable figure at this point in the game it seems like you you want to wish her the best but it almost does like there is that part of you that if you had the choice and you do have the choice in various instances to just sort of leave her be and leave her on her own path because Max seems like she's got she's a someone with a better future ahead of her. Yeah, you can take pity, but and and of course it is her sympathy but will in various timelines bring her back to Chloe in in many ways. But that's why I described that whole region of the game when you're in the diner and when you're in the junkyard and Chloe almost seems like she's uh using you as a replacement for Rachel, you know, right. at that point. It, it's 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 comic relief, but it's with that other little element of foreshadowing that this is not something to be toyed with. It's yeah. fun to play around with time and do little things like, hey, what's in your pockets? And, hey, look, I can predict those events down the, around the corner at the end of the bar. But I think it's it's sort of hinting that that's probably going to take away from her ability to use the power in, in slightly more dire circumstances, which arrives next. And that'll lead us to our next scene, which spurs the next song. Well, if you want to talk about with don't mess with time, don't play around with it, Chloe almost dies twice just in American Rust. But as we get back to Blackwell Academy... Um, something spurred this. Uh, a student was in danger of committing suicide. That student was Kate. Yes. So it's that same problematic uh, video that's been posted up online that is now going to essentially force her to feel like she has to commit suicide. Like as she has no other option. She has no other option, no way out. So I find it interesting that you have that whole scene which is f- filled with you know comic relief and playing around with time and now suddenly it's serious. It's a serious instance in which she really needs or she feels like this is an appropriate time, a wise time to use uh, her power to stop time so that she can race through the quad and up to the top of the roof and actually try to talk her down with it. But it's not even that. What happens here is we really get a sense of her limits because of all that playing around, the reason she stops time is because she's concentrating so hard to reverse it and can't. She's too weak. So instead, she's holding it in place because she can't do anything else. And the fact that she's too weak, I at least interpreted that as being a product of her having wasted it earlier on Chloe. And I would agree. Which is a rough interpretation because it it, it means that Chloe is the problem in all of this. You want to have sympathy for her, but... At this moment... It doesn't feel like there yeah, is any. It does feel like she's faded in some way. So eventually, you do get to the top, and you do run out of the power when you're at the top. You've completely—it's—it's it, it's gone, which means that for for once in this uh, in this full episode of of having the power at your disposal to change uh, time whenever whenever she wills it, now all of a sudden she's forced because she just she just ran out. She's at the rooftop, and she's forced to rely on good old-fashioned talk her down from the ledge, yeah. and, and she. 
there is the option there to say the wrong thing. But there's <laughs> a can. lot of options to say the wrong thing. Um, it took me a couple of tries to get that one. Right. Oh, you had experience or fall, did? Yeah, yeah. I had experience well, or it fall should be noted, a couple of times. It should be noted that the, you jarringly experienced the fall first. Yes, and then that's she, right. That's, that's right. how you learn. You how witness she, it from the quad, and then you will pull it back and hold it in time to get there and change it if yeah. that's your decision, um, um, or if you successfully do so. And, and uh, the, the reason is, I said to spur the next song is because obviously, in in the aftermath of this, you are somewhat of the. Blackwell Academy hero to a few people, one among them your your personal friend, your protector from the last episode, Warren. And uh, the scene is adorned by a pretty sweet afterthought, just the two of them reflecting on what's happened, and you get to actually watch a solar eclipse with uh, sitting right next to Warren, and the two of you just kind of talk it out, and here we get the next song, Mount Washington by Local Natives. Which is from the album Hummingbird. And before we go to the before we go to the music itself, one thing to note, the solar eclipse, another one of those freaky nature events. Well, After yeah. the snowstorm, well, Warren actually says that shouldn't be happening. It's so, not yeah, possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit weird. And this, the symbolism this that's... This is a bit of a Twilight Zone-esque town. Yeah, the symbolism that's being done with the actual visuals, the sun being blocked out, all light being blocked out by darkness, works well with the lyrical work that's going on right here. I don't have to see you right now. I don't have to see you right now. That's the refrain. That's the chorus of this track. And it's very long and drawn. It it ends on a sour note. And I just love the way these two play off of one another. I took that to mean actually a slight, uh, I mean, again, mean is a, a big giant, it's in giant quotations because of course, again, it's in the music and I don't feel like every lyric necessarily was meant to go along with this, but there are some that seem more on point than others. Um, and in this particular case, considering that, you know, you're sitting next to Warren, you're getting kind of close, there's a little bit of uh, sexual chemistry going on here, it seems like a little 12th grade crush, um, which isn't completely flushed out. And the fact that that line occurs, you know, I don't need to see you right now, it almost feels like that this either could happen or it couldn't. It's right. another one of those, like, it, it goes hand in hand with the uh, timeline quirks that only she can control. You know, will there be a romance? Will there not? And you actually do get to choose that throughout the uh, storyline itself. I mean, there's a, a final point very late that you can actually end up kissing him, hugging him, or kind of snubbing him. But well, first of all, I do have to add one more thing because going along with the, yeah. the time references to, the, to time travel, you brought up uh, that the the Planet of the Apes reference yes. is right in this scene, where you know, in an attempt to maybe find connections with one another, uh, Warren says, well, "Would you like to watch the Planet of the Apes marathon?" Of course, referring to the old series, the the five Specifically movies, specifically at, at a drive-in, at a drive-in. Yep. with his jalopy of a car that he just bought. Like, it's that first POS car. So, yeah, real sweet. Of course. Kind of endearing, but you but can take it multiple ways because the, the, it still is a little ambiguous. It is a little ambiguous, but specifically the fact that of all of all things to find a connection with, it's Planet of the Apes, a series which if you ever watched the original series, it's not, uh, Charlton Heston isn't in each and every one of them. He's in the first and maybe one other. But then... It, it, it's a cyclical kind of series yeah. where at a certain point by by uh, movie three, movie four, you start realizing that it's all going to come right back to the beginning and it's just going to go around and around and around. The, the humanity will fall and lead to the rise of apes on the same planet. These are spoilers too, yeah. <laughs> if you've never seen the series. And then that will just go, then the time travel thing will occur and the, the ape that is played back in the time of humans will then go forth and 
bring about the rise of the apes again. So it's uh, a little bit reflective of what's going on here, if not a lot. <laughs> and speaking of that reflection, it also showcases a lot of the other characters involved with this story now and kind of gives a slice of life feel of what's going on. And many of them are actually alone and seem to be in a very contemplative state themselves. So the music, the music having uh, a heavy strum that adds into very drawn vocals and nice little piano touches actually does a lot to, to give that sort of vibe. The song chokes me up the, the way, I mean, it, it, it invokes emotion. And I think it's part because of just the kind of song it is, but I think it's also very much part because of what just happened. We just witnessed someone either try to kill themselves or actually kill themselves. And then you have this quiet moment to reflect and just kind of exist and contemplate. And I think, I think for me, the power of that song is amped up by the scene it's in. Because I do remember the lyrics from the first time I watched that scene happen. So when I listened to it, it took me right back there. Well, it's not that we haven't had moments earlier or songs earlier where we weren't existing and reflecting. You know, right. these are almost repetitive themes. But this is where soundtracks, you start noticing things in the music, subtle things, that I don't think you'd necessarily be noticing if uh, you were just listening to a soundtrack by itself or this right. set of music without the storyline attached. I find that kind of interesting because, like, one of those subtle things is, all right, you're going on these, uh, John started this part, like, oh, it's like the simple strum, you know, we've described so many songs like that. You know, right. they are very just pared-down indie rock tracks. But this one really did leap out in a, in a bigger way, I think, because of, once again, the, the, the raising stakes of this plot line. And also because uh, they start editing more, I almost want to say, more clutter in this song. And in this case, this is a good thing because it kind of reflects the clutter in your own life, in Max's own life. The fact that things are getting a little bit more muddied now, it's becoming harder to sort of retrace time back to where, you know, things would just go on normally. You know, right. there's going to be consequences almost no matter what you do at this point. This is your classic uh, paradox theory. And it's just, I find that, that the... The little things in the music start getting less distinct. There's just more layers, more stuff, and I know it's a subtle element that maybe we would not be noticing if we were just looking at the song, but when you consider the plot line, I think it's very apparent, and it's why we feel more here. The guitar twang that introduces on top of everything else that allows the drum percussion to really start evolving into something that allows the really deep tones to build tension. This track really was all build and kind of all rise for me, where it keeps it just keeps reaching and reaching and reaching. I'm more reverb, like I said, more reverb, more clutter. The only constant is, once again, those vocals. The vocals are like every other vocals by all these varied artists. They're all the kind of the same, just kind of slurred and dazed. This may, though, be the cream of the crop in terms of how slurred and dazed they are. And it works so well in the fact that the vocals don't change, but all, like you said, clutter around the vocals. They're still distinct, but they feel like everything is getting pulled back, pulled back, pulled back. So we're getting a big picture of what's going on right here it's, it's like i said you're getting slice of light seam work with a a vocalist that's almost in that uh, wind tunnel kind of a situation where he's trying to get drowned out but there is still that distinct identity showing through it's a great use of the visuals working off how the scene progresses with the music i think it's a case of max trying to find one last shot at at uh unencumbered happiness mm -hmm. you know happiness without all of the little 
things that go with it. Sure. Yeah. It just seems like Warren is a nice choice at this point because he's uncomplicated and to a greater extent he's off the grid. Right. You know? He seems to really care, too. Like, at this point, up until this point, based on the text messages you can read from him and the, the dialogue you've had with him, you get a sense that he actually cares. To what degree, who knows, but he yeah. cares for Max. Yeah. All right. Let's continue through this saga. There are quite a few events uh, that transpire before we actually get the next song. First of all, we're in episode three now, and episode three uh, will involve a rather precarious break-in to the school with Chloe in order to try to solve the events that led to uh, Kate's death, so or to a possible death. <laughs> at, at, at the beginning of Chaos Theory, Chloe is in touch with you, and she reveals that her step-douche, David, who just so happens to be one of the main security officers at Blackwell Academy. Mm -hmm. Well, she got the keys, and now they're going to break into the principal's office and find out everything they possibly can about Nathan, because it seems like Nathan is the one that did this to Kate. Nathan, there's a lot going around with him, because he's a little unhinged. You bring a gun to school and start yelling at yourself in a bathroom mirror? You punch a kid right in the face, give him a black eye? Poor Warren. And now something happened that led to a person trying to commit suicide, so they want dirt. They break yep. in, and they get into the principal's office. Uh, it took me a very long time to break into that principal's office because I couldn't figure the damn thing out. I forgot you could rewind. It took me 20 minutes to rewind that freaking... You forgot explosion. the primary mechanic of the game? Yes. I, <laughs> I, here's a little thing. If you move... But, and then rewind, you stay where you are. So you blow open a door, you walk through the door, and then you rewind. The door never got blown up. There's an important mechanic to mention is that any anything you're holding onto when you rewind time stays with you even though time changes. Mm. So, so you can cheat a lot about right, a lot right, of right. things. Yeah. I forgot that part. Anyway, <laughs> you break into the principal's office, you get your dirt on Nathan, and then you and Chloe have a fun excursion to the pool and break in in the middle of the night. Uh, hop down to your underoos and start swimming around and then almost get caught by David again. He's starting to become a little bit of a nuisance. You head back to Chloe's after getting the hell out of Blackwell and fall asleep. And that's where the next track comes in. You wake up to Bright Eyes, Lua. And this is from the album I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning, which, again, at this point, if you're not seeing similarities between the albums picked and the game also, I don't know when you will. But yeah, there's, <laughs> we can't help you there. But, um... But yeah, so this song, from the moment it starts, kind of reminds me of Paul Simon we did recently. More of his kind of like, the, the inflection of the, the male vocalist here reminds me of the kind of casual storyteller sound. But it's also kind of, I mean, while staying within the same general ballpark, same genre, we've kind of like paired it back from the yeah. last song that was kind of kept building and building, getting a little bit more intense over the overall structure here. It's kind of just peeled back layer after layer. It's almost like uh, vocals, they're... Homegrown, whatever that means. A Anybody little, could sing this. A little bit dirty, a little bit close to that mic. It, and it's very personal. And even on the guitar, any a barely competent player could tackle this. And these aren't insults. This is there's just something warm about the music that feels like it's for everybody. So much so that everybody can join in. And the warmth and personal nature of the song, I think, is important for this moment because this is where we really feel the shift in this reconnection between these two friends. You feel like they're best friends again yeah. after breaking. In and bonding over Max's powers, you really get a sense that they've reconnected after all these years, and now they're starting to feel like friends again. Mm -hmm. 
all that all of those events just kind of led him led them to this so there's not as much ambiguity here you feel like there's more investment in chloe's future and there wasn't that uh just one episode ago it's it's also the pacing of the vocals i like what's going on it's not just an even voice mm-hmm. i know that it is freezing but i think we have to walk and that slow down at the end of <laughs> that's phrases what reminds is me of really Balsam, nice yeah. that's that i i really enjoy that sort there's of there's a bouncy timing. nursery rhyme nature to this yeah um and but it still feels kind of sad. Oh, well, it itself. does still fit. Fa- and even a couple of the lyrics, the one is like, the mornings look like shit. So yeah. it doesn't feel like, you know, she's completely 100% satisfied. It feels like she's only satisfied in one way, and that is her regaining her friendship. Um, but there's so much other stuff to solve. What's so simple in the moonlight now is so complicated. That's the crux of the chorus. That's your main line right there. And besides the direct reference to the fact that they were simply breaking into the pool yesterday and now it's all complicated because now they have to deal with the repercussions of daylight it's also the idea that yeah it's easy to do things when there's not a whole lot affecting you and not a whole lot shining on you but it's hard to deal with it when now you can see exactly what's going on a nice little bit of foreshadowing a nice little like explanation of what's going it's on it's kind of like well. an undue bliss you yeah. know bliss that you wish you could indulge in not unlike really what we were going on in the previous song but now it's 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 a different kind of bliss because it's linked with nostalgia you know warren was a new thing in her life and this is just going straight down memory lane um now here's the thing if i was listening to this song separately uh, you have to at, at some point in time as we go through these songs you know bring ourselves back to crash chords land because we're in kind of a different you know a different world right now well we're, we're in arcadia bay. we're in arcadia bay that's right we're in the blackwell academy we're we're learning about these these set of characters and and we're feeling what they feel and in many ways, the music is telling us to feel that specific thing. Like, it, it's it's kind of like anchoring you forcibly. And that's that's interesting because normally you don't have that anchor. Normally it's just the music alone, you know, in this giant empty void just saying, feel what I feel. And right. there's nothing else there. And here, everything else is there. So we are being kind of just towed right along. It's very easy. But I can see an environment in which this song would just be like, oh, that guy in guitar, and it's so sip. I just feel like I would be a little bored at some point. And this is a fairly repetitive song if you listen to the full version, because I do believe this one was cut in the game uh, significantly. Yeah, it wasn't complete. Yeah. Not through and through. Um, but as the story progresses, and we're going to get on track of that mm-hmm. a little bit more, because we have a little bit of lead up before we get to the next track, uh, mm-hmm. we're... The investigation continues into what actually happened to Kate, which, as a byproduct, also leads them into an investigation of what's going on with Rachel. Uh, Remember the missing girl from the earlier episodes? Yeah, Yeah, she's still not around. So, they do a little more investigation. They meet up with Frank, the local drug dealer, as we said earlier, break into his little RV of badness. Goes through his stuff, finds a connection between him and Rachel, but that comes up later, gets the drug list, and tries to figure out what's going on. As they're doing this whole thing, you get lots of choices, and probably this is the most important part of this chapter, yet it's actually devoid of a lot of music. There's not a whole lot going on. There's a lot of dialogue and story here. 
So, yeah, there's... That's okay. There's... Silence and dialogue is fine as far as building the aura of the game. Yeah. Yeah. So, they do this without the use of music, which I did appreciate. A little bit of um, kind of a starker idea of this investigation coming to fruition. And they get back to Chloe's base, and they start breaking down what they're going to be, you know, investigating, coming up with clues, figuring out what's going on. And it leads to Max discovering a whole new aspect of her power. First, she can go back a couple of moments to a couple of minutes. Then she can freeze time. Now, this is where the probably the coolest little power she has in the game occurs. She can jump. Jump to pictures of herself in time, which is really cool cool because then you just she shows up she does something she leaves and as a side note she doesn't remember what she remembered when she jumps back with her body when she jumps forward it gets wibbly wobbly and this is where the confusing parts really start rearing their heads yeah this is an important thread because of course the picture is of her and it's chloe and she goes way back in time to i assume the point when she's like 12 years old or something Uh, like that 13. 13 years old, Chloe's 14, yeah. and it's the same Chloe day. Chloe doesn't have uh, blue hair yet. She's, you She's know, your typical 13-year-old girl, right? Blonde. And then, well, it's it's, uh, it's, tr- it's tough to watch because, of course, it's all those those things that you heard about in Chloe's past that, well, her father was alive, you know? Uh, didn't have a, a stepfather yet. Didn't start going down that other path. So, of course, the obvious implication is that now that you're walking around in this environment, the butterfly effect goes into full effect and which uh, it doesn't just mean that in the short term the butterfly effect is of course pertaining to the grand sense that if you were to go way back in prehistoric times and you were to crush a little butterfly a little ant a little anything then it would affect uh the outcome deep far down the road and obviously there's that uh you gotta walk on you gotta walk on lava when you're going through this scene and so this scene is pretty much her realizing where she is being in her younger body but having all of her memories and knowledge and doing whatever it takes to make sure that William doesn't drive to pick up Joyce. Because she knows that's one of the the biggest problems in her life. Right. And it was like a five-step process, and you have to go, oh, that's not enough. Keep going, oh, that's not enough. And eventually, William takes the bus instead of driving, which avoids that car accident. And then once that moment's over, you snap back to the present, but you're sitting with the Vortex Club. The Vortex Club, partially Nathan, partially Victoria, partially the group of, I guess you could say it now, the snotty friends of Blackwell Academy. The first well, face that you see is Victoria, I yeah. think. And you're in. You're part of the club. In fact, Victoria apologizes to you after saying Maxine instead of Max. So what's your first thought? Your first thought, I'm back in time. William's alive. Let's go see Chloe and William. And this is when... Kids Will Be Skeletons by Mogwai steps in. You're on the bus, and while you're on the bus, it would seem like pure happiness at first, right? You've done, you've, you've, you've done your duty, right? This you've track done your duty is actually, as a friend. This track is actually call, is from an album called Happy Songs for Happy People. Oh, God. Which is like, so anyway, and so yeah, you're on this bus, and this is one of the few times you get to really hear the entire song. It happens in other places, but here, they're really, you've got it's this long, very, uh, it's, it's built. There's a lot of uh, silence as far as dialogue, as you're just experiencing this moment while she's excited on the bus to go see her best friend and her father, who's now alive in the present, and you hear this 
beautiful instrumental by Mogwai. And it's time I mention a little something about Mogwai. You know, that's the, it was about the only other one where when we mentioned Alt-J, we said, well, that's the only other uh, band that we did proper for a review. Well, Mogwai is kind of a half. We did a remix album of by Mogwai called A Wrenched Viral Lore back in episode 27, which was a total error on our part. We'll just admit that straight up front. That was actually on my part. It was an error. I did not realize it was a remix album, and it was what it was. It was a bunch of artists that were trying to reimagine Mogwai in a different light, in a slightly more overbearing uh, electronica sense. And Mogwai has their their brand of electronica too. It's kind of this long, drawn-out, ambient music. I have a lot of uh, nice memories with Mogwai. I think actually pure happiness with a slight dose of foreshadowing would probably describe my experience pretty well with Mogwai. Um, Ambient post-rock. Long drones, simple themes. Very peaceful the entire Mm -hmm. bus ride. And very peaceful while you're listening to it, even away from the game. Nice long strings rising up and the tones that build around it, especially the bass that steps in. I was thoroughly just enjoying this track. It was, it felt a little bit like pressure was building, but it felt like a happy excitement. Yeah, pressure is a good way to put it. it. That's why I said a slight dose of foreshadowing because it's really it's 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 very easy to overlook. It's easy to I think just be completely at peace when you're listening. But there does. I don't know. I think because it makes you think so intensely about where you are and your place in life, I feel like it's inevitable that a lot of things will come together, maybe some stray neurons that you didn't necessarily want there. I think that's just the the nature of being at peace. Um, You're putting life in perspective, which means putting everything in perspective. And I mean everything. And it does a great job of basically building off of Max's face without her really emoting too much. You feel the sort of tension being built into her and that she's going to do something after after making a change five years previously, she's going to discover what's going on. Yeah, I remember in that scene, the light streaming through the uh, through the window of the bus, like onto her face. It, it, it brings to mind something else about this game that I really like, which is sort of away from 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 the music element, but it's another little coding across the whole game that I really enjoyed. How it's almost like perpetual twilight at all times. Mm-hmm. Like everything is just a little bit yellowed, you know, or uh, maybe perpetual sunrise. Like there's always a change, always something is on the brink, a horizon is in its midst. Which is another uh, little nod to the fact that photography is a major element yeah. of this game. It's actually just reproducing the golden hour mm-hmm. over and over again. That last hour before sunset or sunrise, which is a photographer's like favorite spot. That's the reason why it's called their the holy, golden their hour. Their holy grail. Exactly. Um, but this tension was well warranted with the track with the scenery work because as you come to the door knock on it William's there he's a little bit grayer around the edges and everything like that he's alive yeah and then Chloe comes to the door and she's paralyzed oh and you don't even see that initially the door opens he calls Chloe and you only see Max's reaction to her at first and which is when the music starts like sputtering off uh-huh. that choiry churchy kind of a feel of what's going on gets all quiet and they just draw it out it was heartbreaking yeah. let's face it you knew it was going to be something like i said i do not think you could really listen to that song and knowing how much uh, time was left in the game really think that there was just going to be peachy keen to the end of course but you don't know what it's going to be i didn't expect anything it, like that yeah and uh it doesn't necessarily mean it's, you know, the end of the world, but it is a, quite a big change in their life and their and, dynamic. And so to, to talk about the song a bit, I think this is one of those few songs where 
it would have impacted me. I think it would have been as powerful without the scene work, but the scene work kind of warps the meaning and it gives it a different kind of power. It's impactful and sad because I know the scene this is for. I recall there was silence at that moment. Yeah. There really wasn't anything. When you first see Chloe. When you, first when you actually, it. as a player, see Chloe mm -hmm. and are met with the same aghast face as Max had. And as I recall, that's the end of that episode. Yeah. That's it. That's the sort of thing <laughs> that gets publishers in trouble with their fan base. Yeah. Um, but don't worry, there was another... It, it, they, they did the story eventually. I'm so happy I didn't have to wait month by month for right. this game. Some people did. Well, we come back in at the beginning of episode four, The Dark Room. Uh, another one of those mostly silent, though. There is some ambient work done when Chloe and Max are at the beach talking mm -hmm. to one another, sort of... Catching up. Yeah, reliving life in this alternate timeline. And you're finding out details about this timeline through her. I think her. this was that interim composer, yeah. the, the transitional material. And, uh, uh, well, in this one, Chloe doesn't know Rachel, but Rachel's still missing. Uh... She hasn't gone so punk or everything like that. She's actually... Her personality is similar, but she's definitely not outwardly presenting as rebellious because, you know, obviously, Yeah, she's... you notice the same lingo. That yeah. was something that's like, yeah. in, in some ways, you feel you, you do feel that she's, like, maintained her spirit, but it's just a slightly mellower version of what she was, um, which... A little bit more than slightly a mellow. A little bit more yeah. than slightly. Yeah. In yeah. fact, she's pretty low-key in that she's just enjoying being with Chloe, like, pure... Un undiluted enjoyment of just hanging out with her best friend. Which is, you know, it almost, through some lens, could be seen as a positive. You know, I mean, all right, just hands down, no one wants to be paralyzed. It's right. in general, objectively, not a good thing. There are other things in life, though, you know, and it does seem very often, like, in this game, they were presenting her previous personality as being problematic in so many ways that she could have used the mellowness that she has here, but without the problem of being paralyzed. Right, but but there is this, this moment where you can tell that Max is going to exist in this timeline because William's alive yeah. and and even though she's paralyzed she's alive Chloe so so it seems like Max is resolved to to deal with you know come what may but you learn more as they go back home that there's a lot more at at odds here and going on than just she's alive but paralyzed. Yeah. Well, Chloe's still actually dying. Her her respiratory system is just failing and the machines can't keep up with it. Yeah, that's not the good. The family also can't afford to, <laughs> to, keep, to her keep her alive. I mean, it's, it's even worse that way. So... After a night of watching Blade Runner, another pop culture reference I like, replicants not feeling like you're human, things like that, being sort of odd and not knowing your place in the world, awesome, great little subtle reference. Mm. But anyway, back on topic. After a night of just, you know, binge watching Blade Runner and enjoying old memories of photographs and whatnot, Chloe actually poses the question, please kill me. Yeah, It'll essentially, here's uh, another timeline where she's <sighs> meant to not live, and you're asked to either pull the plug so she, so the respirators stop, or she, if you don't do that, she just dies yeah, on her you own. wanted her mellow, or not that mellow. Yeah. <laughs> or you could actually kind of, like, brush it off. You right. Can, you can either tell her yes, no, or just sit there long enough and don't make a decision, and the game just goes on without yeah. it. Which is another little thing that I like, because I was struck with indecision that first time. And, and I didn't know it's one do. of the few moments where it decides for you. Yes. If you don't, because either way, Chloe still dies. 
Yeah. Which is apparently a recurring theme. I, I enjoy the cases in this game where, you know, it sets you up to believe that you have total power over this universe. You know, uh, a, 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 a young adults just free-for-all. Right. And it, it, it feels like almost like invincibility in the beginning. And then you do arrive at those key moments where there is almost a greater power, some kind of... Uh, of manner of fate at play that you just cannot control like at the, all. No but it sets you up to feel like you can, which to take that away must be really hard. Right, and that this there's this destiny that Chloe is destined to die somehow, and this you're messing be... with it, and every time you mess with it, there are bigger problems yeah. that fifth, arise. Fifth or sixth different way, I think, at this point where she yeah. should be dead. But, but that's... Okay, well, Chloe's dead. We know Max has been doing all this stuff to keep Chloe alive. Obviously, she goes back in time and stops saving William. Yeah, I so what happens is here it. is after after she <laughs> dies, you're presented with the box of photos where that photo is in that she used originally to change history. And she goes back again, and this time, now you have to relieve that whole experience a second time. But this time, you can't do anything. You have to let it happen. Which is probably the third or fourth time I've cried at, at, <laughs> at this point, point in this yeah. game. Um, but but after... then you come back, you see Chloe, you hug Chloe, and In My Mind by Amanda Palmer greets you back in the regular timeline present We think tense. whatever the timeline was <laughs> that you left from, we think. Um, and this is from Amanda Palmer's album, Amanda Palmer Goes Down Under. Um, and this song kind of represents this kind of false hope and joy or even false innocence as you snap back to see your best friend and you're just overwhelmed with happiness that she's alive and for a brief moment you're ignoring all the consequences as you've been meddling quite a bit at this point in time and i really as much as the music is not a major impact with what's going on the lyrics which you can hear fairly easily in my mind in a future five years from now. Okay, no, you can't be that blatantly obvious finding something. Okay. Or I'm exactly I'm exactly the person that I want to be. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. This they is, were looking at the lyrics and they yeah, had this to one, have. This one yeah. I think might have been just lyrics that really was the deciding factor. Because the music itself, I don't feel like it, it stood up as much as anything it's a else. ukulele song, mm. I think. I mean, eh, I, I didn't enjoy it particularly out of context, but you do feel the peace of, once again, trying to write the moment, despite that that is not the end of the story. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to admit, I'm not a huge Amanda Palmer fan, but I think in context of the game, it fits, especially considering it's trying to force you to forget, in that brief moment, all of the bad that's happened. So I think it serves its purpose there. I just, you know, I, I think this would be one of the few songs on this soundtrack that I don't think really holds up beyond being in the game. It does suggest, though, that considering we're finding, you know, so many lyrics that seem appropriate, and I have been, you know, hesitant to, to really go down the route of saying, like, this song uh, musically is replaceable, or this song musically is replaceable. I do though kind of am secretly thinking about that in the back of my head. Obviously, I'll never know. I won't know because, again, in my timeline, I have only heard this particular soundtrack. But um, if I were to go back and then just like put in other songs within the same genre, I feel like I would kind of get the same feel. Like, I don't think it's... That's just the nature of a soundtrack, is you have this smorgasbord of music to draw from, right? And as long as you at least keep some genre consistency, which the soundtrack absolutely does, then, uh, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna fill out the... It, 
it the soundtrack's role, which is to be the mood that the game needs and to have various little motifs and through lines. As long as you have enough um, you know, musical knowledge to be astute about selecting uh, music along those lines, then I think you'll do a pretty good job. But it does suggest that this was probably more so done for the reason of the lyrics than the music itself. And even the game takes a little bit of a turn after this scene and as we progress from here through the bulk of the rest of this chapter uh, it's more just investigation now as far as gameplay it's probably the tightest part of the entire game itself it's really in depth in the gameplay but there's not a whole lot of character development going on there's not a whole lot of story progressing outside of just what happened to Rachel and Kate what happened to Rachel and Kate how can we blame Nathan well, they're going through it. They hit up Frank. They hit up David's information as security chief. They start putting all the puzzle pieces together, and they finally discover the, quote, dark room. The dark room is uh, Nathan Prescott. His father owns this land. The Prescotts are these big wids in town. They have tons of money. They're the richest family. They own everything. Blah, blah, blah. They have power and money. Well... It's a custom room underneath an old Prescott farm barn with very disturbing things. Photographs of women in compromising positions of various states of duress, including Rachel, including Kate, including a folder with Victoria's name still on it. Mm. Well, they discover this. It's messed up. But they also discover they know where Rachel is, or at least where Rachel's body is. She's dead. She's actually where they were earlier. In fact, where they saw a spirit animal doe appear earlier. <laughs> American Rust. And this is when my f by and large favorite track shows up. Mountains by Message to Bears. Yeah, this stood out in a big crowd because it was the first track that I think was sort of nothing like all the other tracks. Mm -hmm. um, and that was good. I, I, it has a couple things in common, but overall, considering you're on this ride to the junkyard, you've now figured it out, it's not a good outcome. She was, she was dead from the get-go. And uh, it's kind of like this metronome click, alternated with the guitar itself. Uh, strum, click, strum, click, strum, click. Yeah, just and, the one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. And it was probably my favorite song because it's one of the few that I think forces you to think of deeper things, worse possibilities than, than let's say, other songs on the album. Because so many other songs on this album, again, they're just, they're, their focus is to remain cyclical and in a generic sense, contemplative. I do really believe that maybe they could have been replaced. But musically here, this is expensive. Expanding your mind by itself, you know, it's almost like you start to understand the the the, uh, the broader strokes of the power that you've just had. You've you've this it, is no longer any possibility of this turning out to a happy story at this point. You know, there's no happy ending in sight uh, because it sounds like many things from the very beginning were already out of your control, even when you thought that they were within your control. So it winds up being an extremely depressing song beyond what I think any other song on this album had achieved. Yeah, I think this is a song that I feel from what it's delivering, but I feel more deeply because of the scene it's used. Because this, this song is when you find the body and then there's uncontrollable crying as Max is crushed 
and Chloe is crushed as well uh, because I mean Chloe's just discovered a friend that she kept hope alive for is actually dead. This is also should be said is from the album Folding Leaves, which I mean it's a false scene. They're digging in the dirt in the middle of the woods in a junkyard to find a body. I mean, it's still album titles on the nose, but it's a beautifully moving moment and song and horribly sad. And uh, actually, the voice actresses are both on record of saying, yeah, we were unable to contain ourselves and broke down crying while recording this scene. The so, emotion is raw and legit. It's not acting yeah, crying. Yeah, the tears are fairly real through that dialogue. Yeah, and I think that... As a result, this goes back to um, Matt's earlier point on how, you know, like the game, you cannot recreate the scenario under which you may or may not have enjoyed the music in their own environment. Um, but I, I have a hunch that it's kind of up in the air as to whether I would have enjoyed, you know, all the other songs that we've heard up to this point, but I have a hunch that this one would have floored me in any setting. It's just, uh, I, I am very intrigued by the artist Message to Bears. This is the first experience I have with him. And, well, Chloe's pissed. Max is righteously upset. Uh, Chloe wants to go after Nathan. So they go to the Vortex Club party, which Nathan is supposed to show up. I mean, he's one of the two people that run it, Victoria being the other one. They go in there, and we get Got Well Soon by Breton, track 11 of our soundtrack. Which is off the album War Room Stories. It's a techno piece, but obviously fits the scene very well. It's a bit of an oddball at face value, but what it does is pretty powerful for the scene. Well, I would say that the thing that connects it to the other songs is like Mountains by Message to Bears, there's an ominousness to this as well. So even though it's different kind of music, emotionally it's still fitting the tone of there, this is where things are getting really weird, and you know, even though it kind of drones and has this odd warped sound that's not acoustic, it's not indie. I, I truly believe it still fits, especially considering where we're headed with the story. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it, there had to be a club song here, you yeah. know. And if you're gonna pick a club song, well, you need to still have let it have one that is foreshadowing in its own right. Um, every song is foreshadowing, <laughs> but in this case, it, it's. It does so by being extremely warped. I mean, it's the dance song, sure, there's people partying uh, in its midst, but it's so full of darkness and bad intentions and maybe even uh, inappropriate sexual chemistry, you know, like the kinds of things you'd regret. There's these mm -hmm. bendy pitches in the low end that just like they bend downward and they rise back up and it just, it would be very off-putting in that setting, you know, in, in a... The, the the rave that just makes you kind of not want to be there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, with the wrong crowd, the wrong kind of people. It's that brand of noir electronica. Still very interesting in its own right musically, but in a, in a, in a, in a plot setting, it, it definitely means things. I mean, it, it would have probably made my skin crawl just hearing it, but hearing it and knowing what happens during the song yeah. and after, which we're going to get into shortly, it made my skin crawl even more. It gave me the serious capes of the heebie-jeebies, pretty much. And then it's got some pretty solid lyrical work as well. Mm -hmm. You started what would sound like a speech on how you moved around. You told them all so well. You had them memorized. You bored us all to tears. But here's the ground and there's your feet. And never the two shall meet. Has anything like this ever struck you? If ever a likeness that you're scraping for pockets of air? Whatever you're like when you came in. Whatever you use. Whatever you choose. Whatever your acronym. 
It's okay, funny. this is weird kind of an area. That I confess been... that I didn't pick up a lot of those lyrics from the music because the music is kind of like you're. I think it's more of a focus situation. You're right. so focused on those warps yeah. and those 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 bendy pitches that you know you're not really thinking about the the lyrics. Um, and whoever really does when you're dancing, but um, yeah. I, I would probably suggest that even those lyrics were probably a part of the selection process. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And it was really, it was beautifully warped, especially because it was also the pool and because it was also red tint everywhere, yeah. all red lights all over the place. It was also where the announcement for the Everyday Heroes came in. And this was something that was sort of a minor point throughout the... It was a plot thread that there's a photo contest that the photo class that Max and all of these other students that have been mentioned were in and Max at this point has not submitted a photo the entire time even though yeah. Jefferson has been pestering her since the first moment which is of her the teacher game. that we mentioned earlier right. so Victoria wins because Max never entered because well she's still not that kind of outspoken of a person and it's all great but Victoria's in trouble so she tries to warn her depending on what happens sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't it doesn't matter they get a text from Nathan that the body's going to be moved, or at least that's what they infer. So they head right back to the scrapyard. And here we come to the finale of episode four, Dark Room. As they're standing there, they see that Rachel's still, she's still buried. She's still lying right there. And pow, Chloe dies again. Max gets drugged, so she can't interfere this time. And as she's passing out, um, Chloe gets killed and you see the face of Jefferson, who's the shooter, the teacher. The one that you really thought was the rock in all of this, you yeah. know? The one that you could trust, the one who had some years of experience and just seemed like an all-around good-natured guy from one of the earliest scenes in the game, you know? In fact, he's your hero. You went yeah. to Blackwell to be taught by him. You came here to be inspired by his photography. <laughs> is there no God? <laughs> this is, like, pretty much that moment in the game. So, yeah, the teacher did it. And it is quite a twist because, once again, there were riots on the forums when you had to wait a few months for the next chapter to actually show up. Chapter 5, Polarized. And this is a cerebral chapter. There's not a whole lot that, that goes on musically in the beginning because you're stuck in the dark room. Except this time, you're the one in the chair. And you go through scene by scene by scene. And frankly... It's disturbing. It's, it's brutal. It's emotionally and mentally scarring. It's yeah. harsh. Uh, you even find out that Victoria is not, you know, the only victim here. Even Nathan's already dead at this point. There's a lot going on. Yeah. And Jefferson is a sadistic, scary bastard. He's a serial killer. Um, when you cut right down to it, he's a serial killer and he's got you now. And so you're utilizing pretty much every mechanic in the game to escape. And the hipster oh. serial killer. Is there no worse? I know. Oh, man. And then, Actually, and then, his design as a character, visually, was so perfect to not set me up for to that. To not be yeah. threatening in any way. Yeah. 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 Even um, glasses. And you go through various scenarios trying to free yourself, um, ultimately to be rescued, actually, because you can't free yourself. By step douche of all people so david comes to your rescue of course initially getting knocked unconscious but you rewind time and then well, warned knocked him. unconscious shot killed he dies a few different ways there right because jefferson hears him coming but then you start yelling out to david because you know he's coming even though jefferson doesn't and doesn't know how you know and you yeah. have to time these yell outs because if you're too fast or too slow everything gets screwed up but anyway david showing up was one of the most emotional parts of the whole 
uh, of the whole game to me because David was always vilified by Chloe and yeah, by he, you. He's one that I feel like you go through the game kind of suspecting a little bit, you uh-huh. know? Not not necessarily. You didn't have to go that way, but I, there's definitely something about him that just puts you off a little bit. You know, he was bullying Kate a little bit earlier, or at least being a little reprimanding her a little bit too harshly. Yeah. Um, and you know, he wasn't he wasn't like a model stepfather necessarily toward yeah. Chloe, even though Chloe made it difficult. He was actually spying on the family. He got kicked out by Joyce, Chloe's mom. Yeah. I mean, like he there really are a lot is of threads up. that paint him as not a good person yeah. because of the perspective you're viewing him yeah. from. But yeah, he also was a case of, of probably PTSD though he's he's a, a veteran so you know there's there's that that you got to think about so so him rescuing you and freeing you is very emotional and another choice comes up and this is actually kind of the reason I I'm find David to be one of my favorite characters you get to tell him about whether or not Chloe's alive at this moment and if you tell him she's dead he without much hesitation just shoots Jefferson right in the back of the head. Yeah. Boom. And uh, it's at that point you really see the man behind it. And that was the point where I went, all right, David's one of my favorites. As much of a douche he was in four previous parts, he's pretty dead. He's someone who cares and who reacted violently, maybe not correctly. Yeah, he may be inappropriate various times. He may not always have thought things through, but he did genuinely care. He was trying to make the best of uh, several different bad situations. Yeah. But anyway, regardless of whether or not you tell David anything and Jefferson lands, you take Jefferson's keys and leave. Yeah, because you realize at that moment, if you can get to Warren, Warren has a selfie he took at the party of you that you can use to jump back in time to tell Chloe everything that's happened at this point. Are you confused yet? (laughs) Well, during this, you also get your phone turned back on and Mudflow jumps in with The Sense of Me. Which is the song that plays here. We've gone a while without any music here. Yeah, at least a solid hour, uh, minimally. And uh, what Nathan is actually telling you on this voice message is he's repentant. He knows Jefferson's coming after him. He's trying to warn away both you and Victoria, we find out, from the dark room to get away from Jefferson to try to save them. So it, it sort of portrays Nathan as a... a a victim in all of this on top of being the antagonist for at least three-fifths of the game. Yeah. You definitely got the sense earlier on, you know, that he, like, you had some sympathy for him, just a little bit. I know it's very easy to paint him as, like, your classic villain. Villain In many ways, uh, Victoria almost seems a little bit bitchier even. He just seems a little disturbed. Yeah. Like, he's just got too many... You know problems that he has to deal with. He had that whole rant earlier on. You know when when uh, when he was yelling at Max and Warren came to the rescue and Chloe came to the rescue and and he, several times he says, you know, you can't tell me what to do. No one tells me what to do. No one tells me. Not my parents. They don't tell me what to do. He, he got even, little glimpses into his, you know, what it must be like to for for him to be the spoiled rich kid. Yeah, clearly not a great family life. His father's riding him hard. He ends up defacing Max's room. I mean, yeah. depends on what you do, but it does. Have happen but like he he's a very disturbed individual so to have the sense of me paired uh, paired up with this it, it did a lot to not just put a lot of the pieces finally together in the puzzle that we've gotten but also to really make nathan kind of in of an endearing character in spite of everything he's done it's redeems he, him a little bit yeah he still killed rachel yeah. but 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 it does redeem him a little and of course this song by mud flow is featured on the album a life on standby. Like, come on now, you know. <laughs> and so, but but I think it's it's 
this the thing that's interesting about the song instrumentally is that the guitar work feels very frantic and rushed. It's very quickly strummed. But one the, of them, one of them well, does. Well, at this time, it's the only one. Yes, yes. So, yes. so very and beginning. it feels very quickly strummed and frantic. But then other instruments come in that are moving at a slower pace, that are at the very beginning giving this kind of weird dynamic of both hurried, the urgency of her driving, but also calm as in tr this kind of wrap-up of this voicemail. And I felt that after a certain time, I started to sort of tune out the frantic one, mm -hmm. and I started focusing on the slower ones, such as by the time the drums and the bass come in, the bass really just moves slowly. It takes these long downward steps, one after the other, and that's when I just started picturing the song as just it's the dour death song. This yeah. is just in the wake of really so much death at this point. Yeah. A, a swan song in a lot of ways. At yeah. this point, Nathan's dead. Um, depending on what you choose, um, Jefferson is dead. Um, Victoria could be dead. No, Victoria is dead. Oh, Victoria is dead. And <laughs> Chloe is dead. And, yeah. And, and Chloe's father is dead. And Rachel's dead. There's a lot of death yeah. going on right so here. So you're, you're really getting the heavy hit of the consequences of all the choices that Max has been making up until this point and why things are going haywire. Of course, it's to be said also at this point, it's raining heavily and that giant tornado storm that you see in the very beginning of the game, this is where it's starting to actually happen. It's also getting toward that, like, it's all pointless, you know, like that level of exit existential behavior here yeah like because you were given a power in the in the beginning and in traditional fantasy you know you're, you're given a power and you assume that there's going to be some kind of moral that goes along with it and there doesn't really seem to be anything of the kind here no you were not just yet. given a power for some uh for some strange unbeknownst reason and and you're left to wield it in ways that would do one thing or the other but None of them really yield good outcomes. No, and the only through line seems to be is that the biggest decisions you make are to save your best friend from childhood who you're reconnecting with. Like, yeah. everything comes back to that. Yeah. Which is why I love that the frantic guitar work is a, is the most stable part of this track. Right, everything else kind of transitions and evolves. And gets really complicated mm -hmm. and, and seemingly random and very condensed. And it's another one of those clutter tracks that works really well. Starts and then, becoming a lot more post-rock-esque toward the end. Especially the with the lyrical design that's going on right here. Try to try again to hear yourself again from time to time. Long, drawn out, repeats three times, and that's all the lyrics. That's yep. the only thing that occurs vocally in this track. And it's a nice, just another one of those swan song kind of uh, aspects that are peeking through of it's it's too late, but not quite, but maybe it is. Like right. it, it feels like a death knell and you get to town and everything's going wrong. Even the beached whales from earlier in episode three or four, I forget, there's a lot going on. Or the double moon shows up again and there's other scientific wrongness that keeps showing up in this in this game but things are breaking down uh characters are dying you have opportunities to save a bunch of these people but in a lot of ways it's futile because you're going to change it anyway so in this case it's actually okay to kind of walk by all the death that's going on because you're about to completely It's true. You can kind it. of shed a little bit of the guilt. There yeah. is that slight silver lining that you can add to it, and it's not very silver. Um, no, it's, it's actually pretty, still pretty kind of bleak. I mean, we should say at this point, pretty much from this moment until the two major ending choices of the game, there's no additional music other than ambiance. It's... It's you making choices, and ultimately it brings you to 
the Two Whales Diner, where you meet up with Joyce, who's bunkered down with Frank and a few others, and Warren, who is there. And uh, this is actually where a lot of your choices start paying off, because Frank at this point could be a friend or could be dead or could be an enemy that you're kind of okay with. His dog's actually still alive. Pompadour, gotta love him. Uh, or maybe he's not because he could have gotten killed earlier in this. But you're seeing a lot of the culminating stories mm-hmm. unfold right here. Um, Joyce could be kind of friendly or kind of cold towards you with depending on how David was treated throughout the game. Mm-hmm. Warren, uh, you can either give him a kiss, give him a hug, or just kind of walk away from him. After you actually explain your ability to travel through time and need for that picture, I mean, he's a sci-fi nerd, so it could work, it couldn't, but <laughs> this is an actual part where you can... No consequences, choose to have a relationship. For the first time, actually make a plunge with a relationship in this game. Right. And then what happens after you take that photo and go back in time is a cluster F of stuff. So the first thing that happens is you pop through back to that party where you took a selfie with Warren and you tell Chloe everything. The meddling in her past, her father, her being in the wheelchair, you having to kill her, you coming back, everything. You update her on literally everything and so what happens is they catch jefferson well david helps catch jefferson and victoria doesn't die and then you have to go back and you submit your photo with jefferson and then warn and then jefferson gets caught and instead you win the competition everyday hero go to san francisco but the storm still comes so you have to go back in time and stop that and then all these events start piling on top of one another, and you just keep making things more and more complicated until you pretty much have a psychotic break. So what happens is you're trying to make all of these changes again and again just to have this perfect outcome where you and Chloe are both in the same place, she's alive, and you can have a life together. And then you wake up in class again, that first scene right. that the game starts with. But it's different now. You have n- almost no control. And when you get to the point where you need to interact and answer a question... You gotta be a bitch. You have to be mean. And then when you talk to Jefferson and Victoria at the end of class, you tell Jefferson how much you love him and that you want to be with him and do these crazy things with him and these terrible things, and you can't not do it. And then when you try to go out of the classroom, you're in a dark, candlelit hallway of the school. Of the dorm. It's a trippy episode, man. Yeah. And, and like, you keep going through like iterations of like what the story would have been if it was darker. To the point where eventually you end up running away from Phantom Jeffersons. You end up back in picking up those goddamn bottles that you had to do earlier in American Rust. And finally, you go down memory lane with all the major plot points. And with their own slight variances of what you chose throughout the game, you get to snapshot relive them. It's literally you're walking along memory lane. And one of the really chilling ones was when you get to the Kate scene. And she, one of two ways it happens. Either you saved her and instead she stands there and says you shouldn't have and now they'll never leave her alone and she kills herself. Or you don't save her. And she then asks you why you couldn't save her, and she kills herself again. So it's like... It's a, haunting. It's, it's absolutely it's, disturbing. It's essentially nightmares. Yeah. A continuation you, you, of nightmares until you finally meet Dark Max. So what happens is you get to the end of Memory Lane, there's a door, and when you walk through it, you're in the diner. The two whales. But it's filled with every person you've ever interacted with begging you to save them. And all one, of them at One way once. or another, yeah. All of them until you see your... In the back corner... 
yourself and you have this dialogue with yourself pretty much the other you telling you that you're selfish you're a terrible person you just wanted to be uh, popular chloe never cared about you and then chloe bursts in to, to kind of fight this darker side of you and what ends up culminating is you waking up being dragged to that lighthouse that you wanted to take refuge in with chloe at the very beginning of uh, the very end of episode one yeah you know, just to swing back to that scene in which you're surrounded by all those people in the diner. You know, it, it's I wouldn't be so harsh as to call that type of scene a, a trope in in cinema, but I I I do think that it's doing something interesting on the general theme of you know how you can't save everyone. Right. And by that's having everyone want by you having everything everyone wanting to, and by you having had the, a power that most people do not have. Yeah. Um. But still, it's not enough. So yeah. in general, if that's if that's the only moral you can draw from this, it's that. Yeah. So what had happened was to lead up to this, the way the nightmare starts, I recall, and we didn't mention earlier, is you finally get to the tornado to see the way the tornado is by the lighthouse and you talk and you're still talking to Chloe and you try to use your powers one more time and you faint and Chloe has to carry you up the hill which is what you wake up to and that's yeah that's when and the so all comes. of that all that nightmare stuff happens while you're out cold and that's why Chloe jumps into the diner scene because she's trying to wake you up even though there's some messed up things on top of that. There's a lot going on, and honestly, I can't do justice. I don't think any of us could do justice to how complicated that scenery works. So experience it yourself, please. If nothing else, watch that, the final hour or so of gameplay. It's worth it. But what happens here is sort of mean, but sort of not. You're down to a binary choice. because It's, it's not so define mean. It's sort of mean because it is a binary choice, and in a lot of ways, it invalidates what you chose throughout uh, the rest of the game. So mean from a gameplay game. perspective. From a gameplay perspective. Because you've, you and Chloe have been able to determine that it's your powers that have caused this tornado, this hurricane, this, storm. This, this cyclone of destruction to destroy Arcadia. And Chloe, ever in, in, a, in a weird twist, actually is more than willing to sacrifice herself. And you have to choose between going back in time and stopping the first time you traveled or not. And the fact that she's willing to sacrifice herself, you know, is kind of the the culmination in this long line of, of opportunities for her to die. Yeah. It's been, it's been it's a destined. long time in yeah. the making now. So, yeah, I think fate, destiny is kind of surrounding it, this game in some sense. And here she is basically beckoning you to abandon her, yeah. you know, at this last ditch effort. And... Also, it's important to note that they're giving you an op uh, impossible choice as Max now. You either let your best friend die, essentially killing her. Choosing to let her die makes you feel like you're the one to kill her. Or letting the entire town die. And, and it's the one versus a thousand choice. The needs of the many. <laughs> versus the needs of the few. It's And it's an impossible choice. Well, I've heard like so many different arguments like, oh, but if you let Chloe die, does that mean the storm is not going to happen? I mean, there's no guarantee. Will Jefferson still get caught? And I've heard other sides like, well, that's not true. you don't know if everybody's going to die if you do allow Chloe to live. Maybe right. everybody's They fine. only give you that background they give you, they give you, if you... Choose to kill Chloe. And to be yeah. fair, it's not an impossible choice if you're Captain Kirk or Spock. Yeah, I mean... Then the needs of the few, and you get the chance to take that route, of course. It's the yeah. Kobayashi Maru. I mean, you have to make that sort of a choice. But what's really nice is that the final two tracks of this soundtrack are the two different choices you make. Spanish Sahara 
by Foles is what you get when you allow Chloe to be sacrificed. So this and is ob- from... Wait, wait, wait. I want to I do this a little <laughs> And Obstacles by Sid Matters, which was in episode one at the end for a brief moment, is what you get if you allow Arcadia Bay to die. Yeah. And so these songs, uh, track 13, Spanish Sahara, as John mentioned, is from the album Total Life Forever. Damn these album titles. And then <laughs> Obstacles, the final track by Sid Matters, is only the only track that's A, by the same artist who appeared twice on the record, and from the same exact album as well. And we already spoke about how integral the musicians in Sid Matters were involved in the project. So Total Life Forever was the name of that, that first album. And that's Correct. assuming that you kill Chloe, right? This is the full song that mm-hmm. you get. That's assuming you kill Chloe and the, the music is upon saving the town. So the total life then is you'd get Warren, you'd get the school. In fact, you'd get everything that you didn't get over the course of the entire game. The game is essentially wiped. It's Deus, slate. Ex, Deus Ex Machina. It's a, essentially the, the events of the entire game never happened because you didn't use your power that one time you could have. Because Damn. from the first shot of Chloe getting hurt, Nathan gets caught right away. He confesses. Jefferson, Jefferson goes it. away. Yeah. Uh, Victoria never gets hurt. Kate doesn't even get hurt. I'm, even though it's less than a day later from that time frame, Kate doesn't uh, feel like she's the, a whore. She doesn't feel like she's betrayed her religion. She doesn't realize. She does realize right well, away because that they it, find was it was somebody Nathan. else. Yeah. Who did I mean, this it makes story. sense. Of course, you stumbled upon the butterfly in the bathroom. You either seize it or you don't. If you never seized it, you never had the power. Yeah, and so. Uh, so the, that is kind of a really harsh ending. But that said, the song that plays is... It's perfect. Yeah. It's, it's frankly just perfect for the scene that's built around and everything. it's crushing. I mean, watching... After you spent 11 hours with a character who you grew to like, even love, like Max loves, and then she dies. And a you, character. Right. <laughs> we got a cast. Well, I'm talking about Chloe specifically here because that's what this is all revolving around. And this time you watch the scene... From Max's perspective, in the fetal position, behind the wall of a stall, hearing it happen and her dying, and not doing anything. And, and then it's you get heartbreaking. What you get is a heartbeat. Yeah. You get a slow, just bump, 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 bump. Slight ocean noises in the background. Mm-hmm. It is a slow burn if there was anything. A slight, but the thumping is more prominent. And the thumping, I noticed, also changes timbre just slightly. Uh, frequently, in fact. Sometimes it's more prominent. Sometimes the thumping is a little bit more muted. Mm-hmm. But no matter what level it's operating, it does a lot to just cut straight to the heart. And the music develops uh, ever so gradually. you still got the hazy vocals in the distance, but it's just a slow unfurl. It's, it's a bittersweet ending because the town is slave, not Chloe, not your favorite person from the town, but the town and everything yeah. else. Um, and bittersweet is about the only way I could describe it. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you, you experience... I do think there's a sense of peace. The same, it, it, it is very te- tethered to almost every other track on this album, but it is just a harsher, more uh, close-to-the-heart version of it yeah. in being peaceful, but always having that, you know, there could have been more. There could have been something else. Because all the things they show you, they even show her getting close with Joyce again, you know, and, and still involving herself in Chloe's life without Chloe there. She's wearing Chloe's necklace at the very end with oh. Kate standing right next to her, like... Yeah. And, and the music itself, I, I love the slow burn, but the it's another one of those lyrics are really telling with lines like, I'm the fury in your head, I'm the fury in your bed, I'm the ghost in the back of your head. 
because I'm the fury in your head. Forget the horror here, forget the horror here, leave it all down there. It's future rust and it's future dust. Like, these in are other words, really like... In other words, if you were to take those lyrics to heart, then you would never stop thinking about Chloe for the rest of your life. Yeah. You'd never stop uh, thinking about that, that guilt, the fact that you had a choice. Well, you do have a choice in the game. And this is where we go to the next song, the last song, track 14, Obstacles by Sid Matters, because this is the song that you get if you save Chloe, but the town gets destroyed. So what happens is you choose to save Chloe, the town gets wrecked by this hurricane, and then you get a scene of the two of them driving through the town, completely wrecked with the exception of the, the two whales, which survives. Yeah, there's the, the literally giant whales are on top of buildings. Like, this was yeah. cataclysmic, if anything. Which, we don't know anybody who's still alive. You we assume, just... based on this cutscene, that everyone's dead except the two of you. That the whole town died. And it's it's a short ending. And, and there's no wrap-up. The there's... diner was standing, though, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Weren't there some people in the diner originally? Yeah. Originally, yeah. but you're not told that they survived. So, True. at this point, you assume that everyone's dead because that was the choice. The town or, or, right. or your friend. But it shows you leaving the town and driving away with the wreckage behind Can you. Can you assume that Blackwell Academy was also... Blackwell? Yeah, you, you assume I would definitely else. assume Blackwell. And so, but here's and, the thing. I like it being short and sweet because it's as unsatisfying as the previous ending. Because with Obstacles, which is my second favorite song on the album, on this compilation, it's bittersweet. It's got enough groove to it for me to move along to. It's got just enough hope in the music itself to keep me going. And while... Saving the town has that unsatisfied, I lost my best friend. This one has an unsatisfied rev- resolution to everything. Right, because you don't... But I like it because in the previous ending, it ends. The story is over, Chloe's dead, and you really don't know where to go. Here, Chloe's alive, but you don't know where to go because now there's a lot of story you got to keep writing. It's ambiguous enough what's going to happen... Is everybody going to... Are the two of them I, I was okay? honestly like, wondering in that scenario, you know, would Chloe resent this at all? But it doesn't seem like it. Like, you get a comfortable moment where they zoom in inside the car and Max seems to be zoned out and Chloe reassures her positively and smiles at her. And so... Yeah, but... The, but the whole, pre- there, just prior some, to that... No, no, just prior to that, uh, Max can't look at the storm anymore as they're standing by the lighthouse. And Chloe says, I will be with you forever. Yeah. Yeah. So without any of the malice you kind of expect from Chloe. So having this but, sort of but, track but, with that though, it but, works. Okay, that's all well and good. That's nice. I don't but wanna, in the no, no, no. in the event where she dies, you get a kiss. That's true, but I I want to look I don't want to debate the endings cuz that's something that's like two, three hours by itself. All right. It's, well, it, it's still, <laughs> Im- I think it is important to mention because it, it really hones in on what caliber of bittersweet, a very generalized term that you're getting here. And yes. there's something to be, I think, a little bit more bittersweet about the idea that you just let so many people die so you could continue merrily along with your friendship and knowing if you're Chloe, you know, if knowing that you were the object of that, yeah. I think that would mess with you a little more so than she was already messed with in that timeline of her life right I, it's just a theory it's right a theory. of course we don't we don't have yeah. anything telling us one and as, as for the music um this was actually the, the song where i noticed a lot more the the ocean sounds in the background mm-hmm. i heard whooshing and sweeping the winds of the storm it's coming through and it, it stays there even when they're still just driving through in the aftermath so uh yeah i 
I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it just as much as I enjoyed the first song. And I think Sid Matters is really an important element to this this uh, whole entire soundtrack, especially knowing that he did the, those other little in between tracks. The other eight tracks, which were the and here's the reason why we didn't review them at at its core. A, they are original pieces as opposed to chosen pieces for the soundtrack. B, they're not on Spotify, and C, they're actually included on a separate vinyl and disc when you get the soundtrack with the special edition or look it up anywhere else. They are considered separate pieces, so that's why we're keeping them separate. All right. So, time to do a monologue, huh, to reassess this. We're not we're not going to be rating this in our traditional sense. That's, uh, that's what it comes down to, because it is a soundtrack, and it is, it's assembled, you know? It's an assemblage of tracks that go along with a story which we've probably talked about really more than we've talked about the music. I think you'd notice that at this point. But the music still kind of brings everything together, so... So here's the thing about uh, not rating this, even though we've rated soundtracks in the past. We've kind of come to this consensus that when we're dealing with something that directly affects another medium, like a soundtrack to a movie or video game, or even to a book, where some books have soundtracks as well. Going forward, we're just going to give an ultimate rating of, did it support the medium? Did it not support the medium? Or was it kind of ambiguously just there and replaceable? Because to rate it on a scale of one to, to five is much harder given you have to discuss the source material, which we didn't really do with those previous things, Halo, Wreck-It Ralph, or Pacific Rim. And so going forward, we want to kind of handle it that way. I think it's for a better discussion, better understanding of it, and ultimately, we're diving into music in a different way. How this stands with me, I mean, first of all, if you haven't guessed by now, I loved this game in a love-hate way of... I loved how it made me feel, but I also hated how it made me feel because, you know, it's so emotional and so powerful. The kind of thing where you just want to hug something tight after it's all over. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, gameplay-wise, I would almost say, typically in movies, when a movie does deus ex machina where everything that happened didn't happen because of one choice you made at the very beginning that you cycle back to, I usually get pissed. But because of this being a video game and not a movie, and you getting to truly dive in and experience 11 hours before going back, it gives it more power, and I don't mind that. Whereas in movies that have done that, I absolutely hate those movies because I feel like I wasted two hours of my life. I don't feel like there were any wasted movie moments here because I felt like Max. I didn't feel like someone watching. I felt like I was Max, and so it doesn't feel wasted to me because I got to relive this life with my best friend. Yeah, a lot of the decisions I was making from my point of view as opposed to the story point of view. Right, yeah. as if you were Max, exactly. but also your own personality kind of imprinted. Um so that said, there's no question that the game, like if I had to rate it, this is an upper echelon game for me. It's one of the best games I think ever made at this point as far as how it makes me feel and how I got sucked in, which is what games are supposed to do. Soundtrack-wise, listening to it on its own, I enjoy it. I think that the songs are good. I like them. I think very specific songs amplify uh, emotional moments or even would be emotional on their own. But overall, where I sit with this together comparing them you know comparing the soundtrack to the game and does it does it ultimately move the game forward i feel like the biggest emotional points happen 
because they happen and the music enhances it. I don't feel like they would be completely void without it. I do feel like they would be affected though. So I'm kind of somewhere between it doesn't affect it at all and it does affect it and move the story forward, but I'm leaning more towards the middle that, that you could replace a lot of this or not even have it and the, a lot of the story would still have the power because of the, the, the great writing and the great storytelling and the, you know, the great mechanics. Um, so if I had to hone in and pick one specifically of the three choices, it would be that's kind of non-existent and can go either like it's it kind of just there and could go either way. Okay, so I think that of the three of us, um, it's pretty honest just to say I, I I'm the least gamer of the three, right? Sure. Um, two of you have played many many more games than me. I've traditionally been a little bit more on the peripheral of games. I realize there are some brilliant brilliant games out there, and in general, I just have to be in the right mood. Otherwise, I did kind of what we do today, right? We uh, were at least me and you did, Matt. We we witnessed the game, right? Yeah. I've watched a lot of games be played, some in person, some through let's plays or equivalents. But the benefit I think of you know, this podcast, I realize that a lot of other people, you know, sometimes react the same way with music. They have to be in the right mood for uh, music in general, you know, whereas the games they can play at all times and they have a very uh, rich knowledge of it. Um, Or maybe it's just that way with certain genres. Well, on this podcast, we have the advantage of really being able to just set all that aside for the sake of, all right, this week, whatever it is, that's the job. It's the job, and it has actually, I think, enabled all of us to overlook a lot of our genre biases. Sometimes they come through, sometimes they don't as much. Um, It gives us the opportunity for full-blown immersion. And that's what I did with this game. And I have to say, right there with Matt, this is an incredible, credible game. Um, I, 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 I can't, I wouldn't even begin to speak to, like, where it rates against other stuff that's out there. I like indie games. I, I That's what I tend to gravitate a little more to, but I do admit that there is always that, that slight, not fear, but uh, tendency with me, whereas when I'm experiencing games from the uh, interactive perspective, I feel like there's more opportunity, and this tends to be one of the reasons why I it's, it's a little bit one down on my list from the other media that I consume. There's that opportunity for there to be a lot of dead wood. Right, places where you're just not doing anything, places where you know the game is just feels like it's meandering because you're meandering. It's something you have less control over, and I think it is a very challenging thing for a game de- designer, a game developer, um, the graphic artist team, the people behind the music, everything, them to come together like they would in a movie to keep you tethered, even in moments where you may be just sitting, thinking, pausing, uh, deliberating on your next choice. And I didn't feel any of those problems with this particular watch through. I didn't, I really just was letting it wash over me, as the expression goes. Um, But I was letting the story do that. And I think it's the story that did most of the talking. It's the story, if I was to pull back and say, well, where is this emotion coming from? Where is this, this, uh, you know, borderline welling of tears right now because of the scene that I just watched? Where's that coming from? Is that coming from the music? Nah, this time, it's the story. Um, and that's usually a problem, you know, whenever we're doing a, a, a a regular album, if I say, like, well, the the story of what's in the lyrics, it's very rare, you know, I, I usually say, well, flat out, if the music doesn't make me feel it, that's a problem, hands down. This time, it's a different medium, so there's different criteria. It's not a problem. I do think a lot of these tracks are replaceable. I do think that some of them could be a different variety of indie tracks, of indie folk tracks, uh, or of indie electronica tracks. 
But I can't confirm that because I did not live through the timeline (laughs) in which that actually occurred. I felt this. And as such, uh, they are, these are the tracks that are associated with the game and they're the most uh, attached to it forever, theoretically forever. I'll always think about the game when I think about these artists. And it's for that reason that my choice next week will be one of these artists. That's a power. Oh, good. That is that is a power behind this game. So I think mm-hmm. I think they worked by virtue of just how I'm left feeling. And uh, you can't argue with that sometimes. Sometimes you can, but critically, I have to say it was a it was a good choice. They didn't ruin anything, that's for sure. Replaceable, that's left up in the air. We just talked about or too you just talked about experiencing the music separate from the game before enjoying the game. Or in this case, before enjoying the the, the mini series that you experienced, I'm at the even the further extent of this, and I got the music first while being invested in the game, while experiencing the control over the characters and the dialogue and the choices. So I think it's actually the opposite effect on me. I cannot really see much of this music being replaced, being chosen. Uh, song by song, track by track, to to be something else. Because while some of them, like, in my mind was less impactful, for the most part, I I really can only associate the music I was listening to, to the dialogue, to the scenery work. So as the gamer in this case, as the one that was the interactive storyteller on top of what the game was doing, I have to say that it's... For me, it feels like, it, in a lot of cases, it is just irreplaceable. Stuff like when episode two started with uh, something good, Alt-J, like, I feel that part of the, the game every time I hear that track. Mm-hmm. And it's a really enjoyable because it's not just I'm reliving that part of the game, but it's it's that wake-up-in-the-morning kind of kind of feeling. Something good is just a great track for me in the morning. It gets me reared up and ready to go. Uh, Sid Matters, not just what they produced for uh, the this album, but for the original works that they produced. Like I hear it, and I just feel like it's just inexplicably linked to the game nowadays. So I'm I'm just I'm 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 full force just supporting this game. It doesn't it doesn't hurt that honestly. I'm looking to start my second playthrough. I've already seen two YouTubers besides the one we watched as a group play through this game, which is how I even discovered the game itself. Mm. Um, I, I'm I'm thoroughly in, entranced with not just the game but the company. Don't nod, which I don't think we talked about enough. It's a two guys got together, created a similar esque game called Remember Me, which was digital as opposed to time travel kind of. Similar themes of memory and thought and introspective ideals and choices and things like that. Well, I remember playing that game and being unimpressed because the gameplay was poor while the concept was good. This one, I feel like they hit their stride and I would love to see future works by them. Because I felt like in here, not just the music, not just the gameplay, not just the art style, but everything really did come together to create a great artistic piece. And... I wouldn't really change a thing. Yeah, I mean, I think unquestionably the game we're all enamored with and wouldn't change. And I would say the one thing that might change my review, I don't know, I can't speak for Steve. If I had played it versus watching it, 
that might have been enough to put me in John's camp. I'm oh, not that, saying- that was kind of inherent in my, my yeah. prep, why I preface that by, you know, why I, I, I realize I don't often play games and right. I, I know that I'm taking away something from not playing them. Right. I, I was... I was thinking about that, you know. Sure. I, I'm sure there would be a different environment where if I'm not just zoned out, you know, watching something, if you're actually involved in those decisions, making, this is a perfect candidate for yeah. why interactivity in games is the whole point. Sure. Um, the last thing I'll just say about this is that this was a really good uh, beginning, I think, at us trying to get back into soundtracks. I think we did a better job of it today than we did, let's say, back in episodes 23, 30, and 55. Right. Wreck-It Ralph, Halo 4, and Pacific Rim, they were all fairly arbitrary you know, attempts to make it a part of our of our general cycle. But if we're going to do that, it needs to be a little more well thought out. And in this case, you know, we found ourselves focusing a little bit more on the summary of the game, but we also ended up getting into more of the emotion of the game. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, you know, you can't you can't edit things out. You can't if that's where the emotion is, then that has to be part of the discussion. That's why I can't you know listen to this particular soundtrack separately and not think of the game right on one hand that's good on another hand i, I don't expect to you know right. it, it, it you could say it's bad that you can't listen to it separately and spoiler alert i do believe that is a requirement i'm going to have if we look at scores in the future you know a few more uh scores things that were written by a specific co- uh, composer expressly for the film and can't be enjoyed in any other capacity well ironically i think those are things that i would re- require I have to enjoy this in a separate capacity because if it was written by one person, then it should be it should stand up on its own. You should be able to do both. You should say, "All right, let me link it to the uh, the the film or the game in question, or let me take it apart and just appreciate a really solid, well thought out uh, product that was." Um, composed at the same time from beginning to end. But I don't have that requirement in this case because it's a soundtrack. That would be purposeless. The only connection that these artists have to one another is this game. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it wins by the only criteria by which I can rate this. I mean, a way we could test that is when the new Star Wars film comes out, Rogue One, or the next main trilogy Star Wars movie comes out, we listen to the soundtrack by John Williams before seeing the movie and review it without having seen the movie. That would be... I'm would, going... Okay, but then we're going to have to listen to it before opening weekend because right. I'm going to be going opening weekend. I mean, it's an <laughs> interesting social experiment that I'll bring up as we get closer. But I think... Because that tests your theory about... Especially with John Williams, who's one of the best. You and know? it would be yeah. great to be able to do John Williams. I mean, it's John <laughs> sure. Williams. Sure, I mean... Well, I, I've considered that, you know, maybe he's a good candidate for also being able to do one some retro review in the future because he's also getting to be a very, very old man and I would hate to, you know, by the, the heaping amount of brilliant work that he's done, have to just, you know, say, oh, well, he's 90, you know, <laughs> if we did something like farther down the road, I mean, like, it's not his best and have to have that discussion when and I know that he is the best. And he did seven other Star Wars. He must be running out of ideas or something like that coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, alright, well that's something for another day, I think. Yep. Let's go to spam. I'm actually an addictions counselor, and I know a lot of my purchasers started off accomplishing numerous drugs and liquor as a tang herbal pills answer. Can you accomplish drugs? I have. Achievement I bet you Mm. did. And that's by... <laughs> that is by Tang Herbal Pills. Okay. The product is right in, directly to us. Uh, uh, that's, okay. not even, that's not even AI. That's, that's uh, inanimate, uh, inanimate object I. Yeah. I-O-I. I-O-I. Let's, let's start that. I-O-I. I-O-A-I. Now you just sound like in you're having a stroke. In, in, well, yeah, I-O-I. it's true, because it was artificial. Artificial. Someone made the pills. E-I-E-I-O. 
<laughs> All right, can we move <laughs> on to what that. we're doing next week, Steve, please? I already gave it away. Of course, we are doing something directly from this uh, the soundtrack. Uh, it, some, a couple things in the soundtrack at least were uh, strong enough to inspire me to pick something from it. And I think that was another thing. Like, yeah, that didn't happen in every single track here, right? There wasn't always that inspiration to seek out the artist. A lot of times I just think it worked for the scene in question. But there were a few cases here, and it's these that I would also be a lot more critical if I was looking at uh, a, a score where I'd be said, like, is this <coughs> elevating me to a specific place beyond the film, beyond yeah. anything else? You know, well, there were a couple instances here, and they happened in mainly just two songs. And that was uh, the track by Foles, Spanish Sahara, and also the track Mountains by Message to Bears. So it was basically between those two that I was pondering, and I went da, 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 and I went for the most recent one. That was Card from Tides, the album Card from Tides by Message to Bears. So this is uh, a single, it, it, he is his own composer. It's J- Jerome Alexander, and he's a multi-instrumentalist. Um, he's we haven't done U- one of those in a long time. Um, is that is that cheeky? No, I feel like we have, but maybe maybe we haven't. No, like we did Nine Snails, we did we did Mutant, we did Arco. Oh, no, actually, he was more <coughs> of an electronic composer, so yeah. I guess he was mainly adapted just the. I'm talking about Even, like the one man bands, like yeah, you're true. Nine Snails, true, actually. and, and honestly, Paul Simon has a band. No, yeah, with of him. course, like, yeah. he's not playing. Even everything. if he's writing it all, true. All right, so that's what we're doing. Card from Tides by Meshits to Bears. I've uh, previewed it, and let's just say the track that we listen to is not. Uh, in the odd man out. Interesting. Ooh. All right. Well, on that note and that revelation, as always, remember, music is life and, and life, life is, is good. good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.